Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. As we look ahead, the reason we agreed on this was, was we felt like stability was important. We looked at, at where we've been, what we're still trying to do. Our goal is to still win a World Series, and we're going to put our best foot forward on that. But we also um, are grateful for what we have below and how we continue to build on that. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That was John Mosellock earlier today after it was officially announced that he has signed a two-year contract extension, Alex, that will keep him with the St. Louis Cardinals in charge of their baseball operations through at least the next three seasons. So this year and then two more that will go through the 2025 year. Alex, let's start with what our initial reaction was to the news, and then we can break it down a little bit further. I think it's a smart call. If I was Bill DeWitt Jr., I would have done the same thing. I would have put it in most shoes. I would have said, if you want to be in charge of the Cardinals baseball operations, you will be. If you decide that this is your last season, so be it. And we'll give you all the ceremonies you need and we'll send you out on your merry way. And hopefully we do so with you going out on top. But from my shoes, if I'm Bill DeWitt Jr., John Mosellock's been great for business. He has the second longest streak in Major League Baseball of winning records. The only team that has a longer stretch of winning seasons than the Cardinals do is the New York Yankees. He has over the last four seasons, right, wrong, however you feel about it, made the playoffs every single year. You now have one of the best farm systems in baseball with one of the best young players in baseball on his way. You have three cornerstones right now on your infield with both first and third base spoken for and now you just signed your catcher of the present and the future John Mosellock is a very good president of baseball operations you can argue whether he's great or not he's very good at it and for the Cardinals this was something that was a no-brainer in my opinion if he wanted to be around he was always going to be around I think it was the smart call. How did you feel about it yesterday when you saw the news? It was the smart call. That's why when the reports came out that John Mozeliak could be headed off into the sunset after this season, I didn't buy it. Because John Mozeliak has spent his entire career with this organization. He's had the ups. He's had the downs. And you're about to start a winning window where everything clicks of what you've been trying to put together with the veterans that you acquired in Goldschmidt and Arenado with the young players that you have seen drafted like the Jordan Walkers and these pitching prospects you've put it all together you saw the end of Yadier Molina and Albert Pujols you're seeing the end of Adam Wainwright 
why would you just call it a career after this season? And let's say for some reason this Cardinals team makes a deep run and they lose in the NLCS. And you're just gonna ta- you're just gonna hang him up as the president of baseball operations. I didn't buy it. This makes sense where he's dictating the outcome of his future. I think this is also a little bit of behind the scenes of saying the next guy that's going to take over, a Randy Flores. You're going to get to see how to do this for the next few seasons, and then you take over the helm of this Cardinals organization. And I understand a lot of people look at this and say, Mo should have gone. He doesn't do what the Cardinals fans are wanting them to do and spend, spend, spend and making those big trades. Clabe said it best on the opening drive. How rare is it to find a general manager, a president of baseball operations, whatever it might be in pro sports that has a winning record every single season? Because that's what you've got in John Moselock and He's done everything that you can ask for a team. He's gone out there and made the big trades when they've needed it, whether it was Hayward, Ozuna, Arenado, Goldschmidt. He's made the trades at the deadline. Sometimes it's not to people's liking, but he makes the trades to make the teams aggressive. Who's, who's the, who is the president of baseball operations? You show me a president of baseball operations that never loses a trade. I'll show you a president of baseball operations that never makes a trade. Because that's the only way it happens. The Dodgers traded Jordan Alvarez, right? Wasn't he a prospect in their system? Anybody bringing that up? No. You know why? Because they spend $270 million every year on their roster. Freaking the White Sox traded Fernando Tatis Jr. Although T-Bone doesn't like him. We could have had Fernando. Everybody does this. Somebody just texted on our Hair Comfort Service text line 657. Dang it! Three one four three nine 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 six four six. It's been like a month, dude. Man. It's been bad. It, when you were out that week, I did it every single day. They said, "Don't forget to add trading away a Cy Young pitcher, maybe too." All right, but he's even admitted that that's a bad trade for him, the Sandy Alcantara one. But if you're going to go off of the, I'm assuming this one's going off of uh, Zach Gallon with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Nah, he's probably talking about Alcantara. But, but he said way. maybe two, which I'm assuming sure. is Zach Gallon. Okay, you got an MVP back in return. Which was when was the last time you had an MVP on this team? Albert Pujols. I'll take that trade. I guess here's the question: Would you be okay with Andy Alcantara and Zach Gallon to for the right to over a what four year stretch trade for Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, and Marcelo Zuna? The answer is a resounding yes. You would. And I understand that Sandy Alcantara has been outstanding. That guy is amazing. And what what I would give right now they to said, have that guy back on the Cardinals. They said, but, go ahead. Sorry, BK. That's what you have to do. You have to be willing to trade superstar talent in order to get superstar talent. And I, we gave all of the credentials for John Mosellock. I, I feel like they need to be repeated sometimes because there's so much discussion of the negatives. None of that to, is to suggest that Mo is perfect. He's not. I think the Cardinals need to do more. I think they missed out over the weekend on Andrew Chafin. I think that was a big miss by them because there is less certainty in your bullpen by letting that opportunity go down to Arizona. I think the Cardinals are sometimes, and we've talked about this in the past, going right, towing right up to that line, but not quite being willing to step over it to put themselves into World Series consideration and instead being okay with being a playoff consideration team. So I do have my qualms with the way that the baseball operations side is run. But overall, man, it's really hard to argue with the success that they've had. And if you're the if you're the owner, and that's ultimately who makes these decisions on who is running the baseball ops, John Mosellock has done a very good job for 15 years here in St. Louis. So if I was Bill DeWitt Jr., I would have done the same thing. I think it's a smart move. I also like what you said, Alex. It does seem like there is a transition period that is about to begin. 
they're going to show whether it's Gersh or Randy Flores, whoever ends up taking over after Mo, they're going to start that transition right now. And maybe neither of them ends up taking over. Maybe it's somebody from the outside looking in. They bring in somebody for fresh blood to to bring a new perspective to the organization. I don't know what they're going to do, but I think this is the right way to go about it. And if Mo wanted to stick around and he clearly did, I think this is smart for them to bring him back for three more seasons. From the 636, and I'm going to channel my inner text line voice here. Homers, I get it's your job to pump Mo in the Cardinals. If you're going to call me a homer, fine. But I will take being called a homer because I'm seeing a president of baseball operations who keeps a competitive team every single season. And they said they have not won a World Series since 2011. Tick, tick, tick. Absolutely. But John Mozeliak's not the reason they're not winning World Series. The World Series is you're not getting the performance you need from the players on the field. But who are you going to upgrade the players on the field over? I mean, you've got an MVP candidate. you got an MVP runner-up. You've got the established pitchers. You've got the young players in the system. I, I just, I would much rather be in this position than what you told me earlier that the Kansas City Royals are expected to win 60-something games yeah. this season. Hey. Give me this every single season over that, and that's John Mozeliak. Yeah, I... I, I don't understand the frustration. I, I get it. You haven't won a World Series since 2011. But, That's where the frustration uh, comes from. But, I mean, look at how many organizations haven't won a World Series beyond that point. Like, Cleveland has, I think, the longest active streak in any professional sport without a championship. So, I would much rather take consistent winning baseball. And, yes, I do think they there are times where I agree with what BK said, where I think they toe that line and they could take a step to go over. I, I think they're going to be at a crucial point once they get to the trade deadline potentially this season when it comes to looking at their starting pitching. They may be at that point with the bullpen too. There are times where I think they've shied away from being ultra-aggressive, but I don't think that's all on Mo. I, I, I think that is... I think John Mozeliak would love to go all in, push his chips in, and be the guy that leads this team back to another World Series. I think at times, though, he gets kind of held back from ownership. They're the team, as you said, that makes some of those decisions because I think if Mo had a choice, he'd be willing to spend money like the New York Yankees. But he's not the one who ultimately sets the budget for the team. So I, I don't buy any idea at all of bringing back Mo for another two years on this contract extension. I think he's a great president of baseball operations. And it's kind of the same point we've made with Craig Berube all season where if you let Berube go, someone would fire their coach to pick up Craig Berube. Well, if John Mozeliak got to hit the open market, don't think that there wouldn't be Every probably team. 28 teams that would be trying to go after John Mozeliak. The only team not doing it would probably be the Yankees because they have a longer streak than what John Mozeliak has in winning seasons. Yeah, I I guess here's the question. How many president of baseball operations or general managers would you take over John Mozeliak right now? And then as a follow-up to that question... Look at what their budget is on a year-to-year basis. Like, if you would rather have Andrew Friedman with the Dodgers over John Mozeliak, ah, that's fair. Now, what would Mo do if his budget on a year-to-year basis was what Andrew Friedman is working with? I think that's a very fair question. And so when you look at the way that the Cardinals operate, and by the way, the Dodgers had a very Cardinals-esque offseason this year to be able to reset their books I think he's done pretty damn good, man. He's done a pretty damn good job. I do have, again, my issues with some of the moves that they have made. I thought trading Randy Rosarena at the time for a left-handed pitcher was weird. I think the way that they operate in general with left-handed pitchers, they value them way more than most teams in Major League Baseball do, but they don't value the ones that are established. They value the ones that are like a dime a dozen right now. And previously, I think that's a like 
hard over correction from what they did with Cecil and Andrew Miller. So that's just one micro decision point that I disagree with. Overall, though, man, I look at this team going into this season. I think it's pretty good. I look at the teams that they've had in recent seasons, and I I look at the way that they have transitioned from one era of Cardinals baseball to the next. You don't see stuff like this very often where it goes this smoothly. They literally over a from 2015, which was kind of like the end of that era of Cardinals baseball, I think you could say up until about 2020 ish. They've completely transitioned away from one era to a new one. And all the while, their worst season was 83 wins. That was their worst year. They bottomed it bottomed out at 83 wins. I, that's that's remarkable, Could man. You imagine Super what, impressive. what Royals fans would pay to have oh. an 85 win season being their worst. Can I imagine? Yeah, <laughs> that was the best that I saw growing up. <laughs> I can promise you it can be much, much worse. So when you look at the way that this thing ends up going, I, it was a smart move. This was the right move. And now he gets to usher in whatever the next era of Cardinals baseball becomes. And that's going to be super interesting to watch. There is going to be a bit of a Game of Thrones-esque behind-the-scenes oh, situation going on, I would raunchy. imagine, where people are trying to figure out right, who's going to be the next guy because that's going to be the talk for two more years now of who's going to be next in charge after Mo decides to call it a career here in St. Louis. Let's go through this real quickly, and then we'll get to uh, talking a little bit of blues hockey on the other side. Do you believe this is the last contract that John Mozeliak gets in St. Louis? Is this it? Three more years and then Mo decides to walk away. Because I, my vibe coming off of the press conference earlier today is yes. I think this is the last one. I think he has three more years in charge of the baseball ops. I don't. Um, because if this team has been to a World Series in that stretch and they haven't won, I could see Mo saying, man, we're right there in maybe one more year. I could see him going like a Yadier Molina, Adam Wainwright route, where after this it goes a one-year-to-year basis. I wonder if Mo's looking at this and saying, I'm going out when we win a World Series. That may be a long time. I, and then he's the, the pobo when he's 85 years old. I, I think this is his last one, too. I, I don't think you bring up the transition period unless you truly believe that you're going to step away after this contract. And it wasn't a very long-term deal. Only two more years added to the contract. So I, I think he will step away. And I think he'll probably take one of those roles where it's like an advisory role where he's an advisor to the GM. So I, I do think this is going to be the final contract for John Mosaic. I think he's going to make a big push. I, I think he's going to make a big push in these three years to try and go out as a World Series winner. By the way, for all of the consternation that takes place about the Cardinals' inability to get to and then win a World Series... You know how many National League teams have won a World Series multiple times over the course of the last 20 years? Multiple World Series in the last 20 years. So Giants did it. Mm-hmm. And Houston? They're not National no. League. Oh, National League. Uh that Dodgers prob- didn't, Dodgers Braves didn't, didn't Mets didn't. You're I forgetting one. I am? Cardinals? Yeah. Oh, what, that's it. What 20 years? Last 20 years. 20, oh, That'd be okay. 2003. Yeah, sorry. You I struggle? Did, I did math wrong. I know yeah. you were born three years prior to sorry. that, but it's okay, did, buddy. We're I did right math there. wrong. That's right my fault. For all of the frustration that we hear about the Cardinals' inability to, to win in the postseason, and I know I can hear it already, but BK, that was Walt's team. I know. I know. Ooh. I get it. 2011, I give a little bit of credit to John Mosey. Those people. Mo traded for the World Series MVP. Yes, First deal he, he ever did. 
He also, you know, the bullpen was kind of important yeah. that year, but it's also fine. was, you know, kind of behind the scenes making the Matt Holiday deal get done. In the last 20 years, the only teams, the only teams in the National League to win the World Series multiple times, the Cardinals and the Giants. That that feels relevant. That feels like an accomplishment. Nah. But they do need to get better. He's too soft. They they do need to figure out what's going on with their inability to win in the postseason over the last few years. I, I completely agree with anybody that has that as a criticism. And that's been the backdrop to literally every conversation that we've had about this team for about three years now. So this is not something that's new. If you're just listening for the first time, we have had plenty of criticism about the way that they operate. Um, but overall, Say they've done a pretty good, pretty good job, and today was a good day if you're a Cardinals fan, in my opinion. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll dive into some NFL quick hitters. But next, Alex, there is a report that just came out on one of the Blues players that could be traded before the deadline and what the likely return will be for that player. We'll talk about that and tell you an update on one of their top prospects next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Standard Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. Kevin Weeks, we're, we've reached out to him. Hopefully, we'll get him at some point later on this week. Aggressively pursuing. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, <laughs> basically he... what other teams are trying to do to this player that oh! we're about to bring up. Kevin Weeks just tweeted out that Ivan Barbashev is drawing plenty of interest from multiple cl- clubs across the NHL. He adds that the return for the Blues could be a first or a second round pick and a prospect, quote, his salary is affordable to multiple suitors. The Blues could retain some of that salary to sweeten the offers and the return. He says to keep an eye on Ivan Barbashev. Alex, this is something we've discussed a lot over the last few months, honestly, is how Ivan Barbashev is the exact type of player that as you get closer to the deadline, every team in the NHL that views themselves as a contender will say, oh, maybe that's the guy that we need. And the reason why is because he can fit whatever it is that you need. If you're a team that needs a center, well, he can come in and be a depth center for you. If you're a team that needs a little bit of scoring punch, you can convince yourself that Ivan Barbashev can give you that. If you just need a glue guy, you need somebody that's going to give you that physicality, some of that sandpaper that a lot of teams want for the postseason, and you're going with the, oh, he's a winner. He's been there before. He's appreciated if you don't Cup use that final. tone next time. He's got that. He's got can everything. trade for Barbie now. Everything that teams I are looking it. for. Ivan Barbashev brings to the table, and that's what teams are going to be saying. They're going to be saying, I want it. And then... T-Bone's not listening. No, I'm reading something. (laughs) Clearly. And then Doug Armstrong is going to be saying, I want a first-round pick. And teams might actually do it. And I hope they whisper like this on the phone call. Alex, what do you make of this report (laughs) from Kevin Weeks? First or second round pick plus a prospect could be the return for Ivan Barbashev. If that's the case, you you got to move him, right? Oh, you're moving him no matter what. Because I just think Mo is looking at this as, well, we need to transition into a new era. He said that much. Um, Not surprised by the second round in prospect because we've comped it to Lekkonen and Craig Button told us so. Surprised by the first round pick. Now, mind you... Mind you, that's going to be a late first-round pick. Like, it's right. probably going to be somewhere between 30 and 32. But what if a team is aggressive to get Ivan Barbashev and they get bounced in the second round? Now you're talking 25 through 28. It just matter. It depends on where the team goes. But if that's what you're going to get for Ivan Barbashev, who is a really good player, a tough player to lose if you're the Blues, but let's be honest, underperforming this season. 
you jump at that. That's why Doug Armstrong will hold on to Ivan Barbashev until March 3rd. I know what his precedent was with Vladdy of, hey, if the deal's right, you make the deal no matter what the timing is. That doesn't come into... Did I say Mo again? Why yeah. are you smirking at me? No, no I, I said Doug Armstrong, didn't I? No, you said Mo. Did I really? Yeah. Oh, well. I said Mo's transitioning. I mean, you're not wrong. Maybe. <laughs> Finish that Bo- sentence. Both, both transitioning. Um, but you don't have that precedent with Ivan Barbashev because he's got, he doesn't have a no trade clause. Uh, he is a very cheap prospect where if you're willing to eat 50% of that salary, which makes sense that you would, I mean, you're talking about a guy who's probably going to be like less than a million dollars to a team, which is going to be beneficial. And on top of it, he's a playoff performer. So I hold on to him to March 3rd and let the competition begin because there will be one team that believes they're a Stanley cup contender. And on March 3rd, the music has stopped and they didn't find a chair in terms of a player. And they say, oh, damn, there's a Stanley Cup champion over here who could play up and down my lineup. Let's get him. And that's where Doug can hold those teams ransom. He's the alternative to just about every top player that is available on the market. Like if you were a team that was in on Vladimir Tarasenko, Carolina Hurricanes, for example, maybe you transition over to looking at uh, Patrick Kane. And then you find out, okay, Patrick Kane doesn't want to play for us. So we, where do we turn next? It's probably Ivan Barbashev. If you're a team that's looking at Ryan O'Reilly and you end up not being able to acquire him, where do you turn next? It very well could be, uh, I guess Timo Meyer would be in that conversation as well for the top wingers. But if you're looking for a center, if you don't get Ryan O'Reilly, you probably end up turning to a guy like Ivan Barbashev or Nola Chari. Like the Blues have the secondary options for just about everybody on the open market right now. And so they're they're kind of the clearinghouse. They're listening to the offers on Barbashev, and that could inform their decisions on Nola Chari. They're listening to the offers on, previously, Vladimir Tarasenko. That could help inform what they get for uh, Ivan Barbashev as well. It, they're in a really advantageous spot right now when it comes to what they could get for him. You did the best thing in terms of getting rid of Vladdy because of the Timo Meyer outcome, because of the Patrick Kane outcome. Now... You wait until these guys are moved. Timo Meyer is probably going to be moved sometime before March 3rd because it is an arms race. Um, I have no idea what's going to happen with Patrick Kane, but you hold on to that asset when those guys are moved because let's say Meyer does go to the New Jersey Devils, and I heard rumblings that Patrick Kane could go to the Toronto Maple Leafs if he's willing to waive his no-trade clause to there. Then guess what? Carolina didn't get somebody. You have the Edmonton Oilers that didn't get somebody. You got the Vegas Golden Knights that didn't get somebody. Boston won somebody. You got five or six teams that'll say, man, we didn't get the best thing that we wanted. What's the next best option? We got two Stanley Cup champions, one a Conn Smythe winner, the other as impactful as you can ask for a Stanley Cup championship. And it would not surprise me if Boston or a team in the Western Conference goes heavy after Ivan Barbashev because some teams in the East might not know how good Ivan is. But teams like Dallas, teams like Winnipeg, teams like Boston, they witnessed Colorado. it. Colorado, uh, Vegas, because Bruce Cassidy was the head coach or is the head coach and was of Boston. All of those teams know the impact of what Ivan Barbashev had in that Stanley Cup run. That's where you get to that first round pick that Kevin Weeks is reporting. All right. So that is the future Blues prospects pool potential with a first or a second round pick and a potential prospect as the report from um, Kevin Weeks of ESPN.com potentially being the asking price for Ivan Barbashev. How about somebody that's already in the blue system? Alex, Jimmy Snuger is getting some some real hype. And this comes from The Athletic. Scott Wheeler is their prospects writer, and he broke down the top prospects in the NHL that have already been drafted. So not the guys that are going to be drafted this upcoming uh, year or in the future, but the guys that are already in systems. 
He had Jimmy Snuggerud up in the top 20 of his top prospects right now. He said, quote, one of the hottest prospects in hockey, Snuggerud has gone from a B-plus prospect to an A-grade prospect or something close to it this season. Every piece of his game has been elevated. He's got a plus shot, but he had that already. He's plus skill, good enough skater, hard on pucks, hard hunts pucks, consistently impactful, finding ways to release and move as soon as he made a play so he could get open for the next one again. It's all there now. Add in an extra step from a standstill, and he's on an exciting path. You excited? Alex, when you, very. Um, Can't wait for that snuggy night. When you look at what the Blues have done in the draft over the past couple of years after Bill Armstrong left, this was a big question for the Blues because he was basically in charge of their drafting. They've done a pretty damn good job. They have nailed their picks. Over the last two years... They have now two players that are in the top 50 prospects, according to The Athletic. Both of them were players that were picked in the top 50 over the last two years. You know how many picks the Blues had in the top 50 over the last two years, Alex? Four. Two. Damn, I was so close. They had two first-round picks. They did not have a second-round pick in either of the last two drafts. And so they nailed it. The two picks that they had, they nailed them. That is the type of thing that they're going to have to do over the next couple of years if they're going to get this thing back on track. Either you nail those picks that you get in these trades at the deadline or you utilize them to be able to get proven NHL players or you use them to be able to remove NHL players from your roster to get get your cap right. This is big, man. To be able to get this pick so right, and it seems like everybody's high on Jimmy Snuggerud now, uh, that's a big development for the St. Louis Blues. And let's for those that don't know, Snuggerud through 30 games with the University of Minnesota this year, he's got 17 goals and 40 points points you've got bull duke who's in the queue his fourth straight season who's got 31 goals and 82 points now take that with a grain of salt because he's second in his league in in scoring right that of course is a different level than what they will be seeing at the nhl level and for those that might have forgotten bull duke uh, craig Bruby and doug armstrong both said after this year's training camp that he looked like he needed some more seasoning 19 year old probably going to get some ahl opportunities next year and then maybe in two years you're talking about him being impactful jimmy snuger it's 18 years old and it's his first year in college it would not surprise me if he's in college again next year but if you look at the trajectory of these players this falls in line with what Doug said of this being a new era. And this is this should give people a lot of optimism of what I've been saying of this isn't a long-term process of getting back to a competitive level. You could be talking about a couple of years for this team to be back at a competitive level because of the talent they have in place. We've already talked about the core that's there. But imagine adding in a young rookie, Jimmy Snugrud, who might be an A-level prospect in two years, and then adding adding a dude, Zachary Bolduc, who could be a top six forward or a top nine if we're going to be lenient with this. Those are, those are very comparable to what the Blues had in 2019, where they had the core piece in place to win a championship, but then they said, oh, we got a Robert Thomas who can be an asset to us, or we got a young Vince Dunn who can be an asset to us. That's what Snuggerud and Bolduc could be. So that is very promising that uh, Jimmy Snuggerud is there. And for those that haven't read that piece by Scott Wheeler, and I know you kind of mentioned it, go read it because it sounds everything. It sounds the perfect description of a David Perron. That's what this Snuggerud, he's got a one-time shot. He's a presence on the power play. Uh, so it's going to take four times to leave the Blues for him to figure it out and finally win a cup uh, 20 years from now. Now I'm not as cool. excited. Cool. That's what we get to look forward to. You know, he's going to be wearing the white skates 
Oh, the tinted visor too. Oh. The tinted visor. I came into be the doing show the today. Pirouettes over and oh. I came into the show today thinking, you know what? I'm going to give BK the benefit of the doubt. He's a great person, great teammate, and I'm going to come in here and I'm going to have a positive attitude. And it took 34 minutes for you to piss me off. Uh, congrats. That's a new win. That is a new win. That's a new, a new over under for but, me. But hey, if it takes him that long, it takes him that long. But the 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 process of this is you're looking for those impact players. And you went from being a, a level, a lower B level prospect in a matter of one season to be an A level prospect. That's huge for the Blues. You'll love to see it. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get into questions and answers. 314 399 9646 is the air covered service text live. But next, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters, including one team that Marcus Spears believes should be all in on DeAndre Hopkins this offseason. And man, this Derek Carr stuff's getting wild. Who's going to end up with landing him this offseason? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms and you can also find it on uappodcast.com we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn That's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. All right, let's bring this conversation on air. This it's cold, fun. man. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't want to look like a, like a, a bad person on this, but I just, I feel like I was wronged. All right, we'll get into some NFL oh, quick gosh. hitters here in just a minute. If you missed it over the weekend, I, I, I play fantasy football. I do it a lot, right? I do a lot of daily stuff and over the postseason, there's, there's an app called underdog. And basically the way that it works, elevator pitch on it. It's a fantasy football format where you only draft quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends. There's no kicker. There's no defense, anything like that. And they pick your your best scores, your top five scores every week from the postseason. And then you move on when that team is eliminated. That player is eliminated. And so you're trying to get as many teams that are playing in the Super Bowl as possible because that's how you win the most money possible. My team ended up finishing second in this tournament of about 30,000 people. So I, I won a decent amount of money. It was it was very good weekend for your boy. I got Alex addicted to this app it's because true. you just you draft and then you don't have to do anything with it. There's no like waivers or anything like that. I got him addicted to yeah. it. And my teams that I drafted, they got to I think two got to the second round and one got to the third round. So <laughs> peel behind the curtain. We're gonna Alex, see how he how, we're gonna see how he spins this one. While we were on the air one day, was doing these drafts while we were out at Centine. I think he did six of them over the course and of none one of show. you even knew. Impressive, right? So, Alex, what did you propose to me while I we were said, out at Centine? We we've all drafted. I think we at least for that time we both drafted three separate teams, and mm-hmm. I said. All right, we got like six, seven teams here. Let's go 50-50. If one of no. us wins, we'll split it. I think he said like 
I think he said like 10%. Who the hell would say 10%? You go 50-50 because if I win, you win. That's 50-50. I guess I, I had to be idea. the judge of this because I wasn't involved because yeah, I wasn't so at the team. I'm pretty sure it was like 10%. It was 50-50, and I said this would be great. This is what I do with my dad and my cousin. To We're be fair, draft 10% would be the biggest gambling win that you've ever had. That's not true. I won an eight-leg parlay three years ago with $4,000, which is why <laughs> I'm still bad. striving at that. But this is what I do with my dad and my cousin at DraftKings. Like, we make all of our bets, and we say 50-50. If somebody wins, we're splitting it three ways. So I said, why not do it this way? Because he was like, yeah, man, great idea. And then tell him what happened. <laughs> Am I a bad person that I didn't share? <laughs> he wins it on Sunday. He's sending us pictures. And I said, oh, yeah, man, we we did it. Because if I would have won, I'd be like, yeah, 50-50. We said this no, going in. No, you wouldn't. Yeah, what, what would Alex have done if he won? Probably the same thing you did. Yeah. Minus You're maybe crazy. send us the photos. This is what this is what you do because you put all of them out there and you say, let's see if we can well, win you it guys as a like group. Hold hands while drafting. No, exactly. Like, that's my thing. Is like I feel like it was one of those like, oh yeah, we'll split 50-50. Oh yeah, You're sure. You're saying we're this kidding. as the third person on the outside, but if you were in my shoes, you'd be feeling the exact same way right well, now. I don't know. I wasn't would. out there. I don't. I don't know exactly how the conversation went because I feel like it's you fine, were man. like Just totally serious. And BK's like, oh yeah, he's joking. 50-50. Sure. Well, apparently, uh, uh, that's kind of that's what he thought. Okay, that's fine. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers in about ten minutes. Did I mess up here? Am I a bad person? I'm paying off my wedding, man. I've got I'm, a kid coming. I tell you, man, but I'm signing with BK on this one, and that I don't do that often. Damn, that that's when you know you're in the wrong. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't think he's, I don't think he's in the wrong. I just don't. I don't see you guys like going back and forth during the draft, like. I'm thinking Saquon here. No, no, we man, were showing I, each other our teams. Yeah, that we were doesn't mean you're drafting together. I was texting him pictures of my team I, saying, look, second round, man. I'm no, going to feel I, really bad if this was one of the teams that I drafted while we were out there. I'll, I'll have to look back at the history of it, see when I drafted I think it was. <laughs> All right. Let's get into NFL quick hitters. Let's start with this one. Um, Alex, DeAndre Hopkins is very likely going to be available for somebody to trade for this offseason. Uh, he's likely to get a new contract whenever he is traded. He had... A weird season, man. It was a terrible season for the Cardinals. He had the PED suspension early on in the season. Marcus Spears was on Get Up earlier today, and they were discussing what DeAndre Hopkins' future holds because he's going to be one of the top dominoes to fall, especially on the receiver market and what is a terrible free agency class for wide receivers. Here's what Marcus Spears had to say. Outside of Tony Pollard and CeeDee Lamb, can y'all tell me somebody else that had production on this team from an offensive standpoint? You got to play offense. We just saw Jalen Hurts damn near have 500 total yards in the Super Bowl. The Philadelphia Eagles ain't going nowhere. You are going to have to put points on the board. I know what everybody's going to say. Well, it's the number one offense, and they scored all of these points. It's players over plays. And that becomes the issue with Dallas every time they get in a big game. Who do you think needs to trade for DeAndre Hopkins if he becomes available? Let's say it's a second round pick that you got to trade and then you got to give him like a $20 million per year plus contract. Who who do you want to see trade for him this offseason? People are going to hate this. I'd love to see the Chiefs trade for him. Let's go. I told you that last week. I said, or I told you that yesterday. I said, man, Hopkins would look great there. Uh, Needs to be is a different conversation. I, I would throw the Chargers into this conversation. If you're going needs to be, if I'm not mistaken, Especially they, if they're going to that's what I would say. They're cutting Keenan Allen, and maybe they bring him back for a cheaper rate than what he's being paid. But if not, you need a, a legit wide receiver because Mike Williams can't stay healthy, and there are other guys I'm just not too sure about. So the Chargers might be a team that I'd say needs to get them. Depending on what direction the Colts are going for, they might need to get this guy. Uh, and even a Carolina Panthers team might need to get this guy. Yeah, see, I 
Chiefs would make sense. I I don't know if they would do it. To me, it's, it needs to be someone like the Bears that need to surround their quarterback with weapons because you look at Justin Fields, I think he's the franchise guy, doesn't have any weapons around him. If they him. didn't trade their second-round pick already for Chase Claypool, it would make so much sense. Yeah, and, and the other one that I kind of throw into this conversation is like Pittsburgh with Kenny Pickett. A team like them, go get a legitimate number one wide receiver to put with Pickett, who I think is going to be your fran- is the franchise quarterback. I think those are the kind of teams you're looking at. I think you're looking for a team that's kind of on the up and coming to trade away a second round pick maybe it's uh, and it sounds weird to say this because i think they've got a number one but the more the merrier the detroit lions you think you're oh, for baby. real go out there and add deandre hopkins to that wide receiver room with the brown him, need no want, no maybe. one maybe. yeah but i mean i you got such a good spot right now with your roster i don't know if i'd mess with that if i'm detroit and i know you're getting an incredible player but man you got your team was such in a good position i think i just keep that momentum going how about the Saints? No. No. Okay. Saints I, need I, to blow that up. That's where I am. I, I think the Saints, let's Giants? quit living in fantasy. Let's Giants would up. be a great I, The Giants, I don't know about. I almost threw them in here, but it just depends. What are you doing at quarterback? That's fair. Because if you're bringing back Daniel Jones, no. No. So here's a question If you give him somebody to throw to, he might be a little bit decent than what he is. He's not. He's bad. Uh, can the Patriots <laughs> trade for him now that they have Bill O'Brien? No. They won't. <laughs> no. Like, you probably can't, right? No. I mean, I, if you're Bill Belichick, you can do whatever the hell you want. I obviously love Alex's idea of getting him on the Chiefs. I, I think the Cowboys make a ton of sense, man. They need a second wide receiver. That being said, I think they need an explosive wide receiver. I think they need a guy that can stretch the field, and that is not DeAndre Hopkins. He's very draft much that a possession guy. guy, and I'm with you. I, I think you go out there and you try to draft like, somebody. Like, could you get that TCU wide receiver that's going into the Quinton Johnson, Maybe, right? Like, yeah. he'd be the one, I think. He looks like a Dallas player. Jalen Hyatt, the kid from Tennessee, yeah. he makes a ton of sense for Dallas, man. They need some long speed on that team. All right, continuing on with the offseason, this is going to be what comes to the forefront now is Derek Carr's situation. Earlier today, Peter Schrager was on Good Morning Football of NFL Network. He says this AFC team could make some sense for Derek Carr. To me, if I'm the Miami Dolphins, like, I don't know what the situation is with Tua. And Mm -hmm. I look at Derek Carr and I've got a team. physically? Yeah, I don't know if, I mean, I I think everyone's intention is Tua's returning as a quarterback. But Tua's in the final year of a contract. He hasn't gotten that big year yet. He's got that big deal. I, I don't know anything from the Dolphins side of it. But to me, if I'm the Dolphins, I'm so close my roster is so loaded. You bring in Derek Carr to Miami. Are they not one of the favorites in the AFC? I think it's. I think it'd be fine. I would just rather go and run it back with Tua. I would too. I, I don't think Tua was bad this year. You spent the last Tua- three seasons trying to make it work with Tua. You brought in a new head coach to make it work with Tua. Why not use Tua? If Tua ends up failing this season, then you move on. But this is the make or break year, in my opinion, for Tua. He earned it this season with his play when he was available. Absolutely. The problem is and always has been the the injuries. And you just don't know how to predict that going into next season. So I wouldn't do that if I was them. That being said, this comes from Mike Sando. Quote, Mike McDaniel would probably do a great job with Lamar Jackson. He adds that an NFL executive believes that Lamar Jackson for Tua could make some sense. Now, obviously, that would require a lot going back to the Ravens other than just Tua Tungavailoa. That is the kind of upgrade that... If the Miami Dolphins were trying to get Lamar, that's different than going out and getting Derek Carr, who's just something similar, if not a little worse than Tua, probably for them. That I could see. 
Derek Carr doesn't make a whole lot of sense for Miami. No. Where do you think does make sense in your mind, though, for Derek Carr, Alex? Because he's going to be cut by the end of the day today, probably by the end of the fast lane. You'll hear the news. Derek Carr is going to be cut by the Raiders. Then he can sign with whoever he decides to. So there's a couple teams that come to mind. The Jets are the first one. If they don't get Aaron Rodgers, which I know a lot of people are kind of signifying he's going to be a Jet, but Derek Carr would be a great secondary option if you don't get him. Uh, The other one would be the Panthers. I think, the, I think that makes so much sense, I think the man. Panthers are going into this draft hoping that they can get some of the, whether it's Will Levis or C.J. Stroud, or hoping they could get one of those two. If you can't, you go Derek Carr, because at least you give yourself a wiggle Problem room. Problem is, you got, the order of operations is wrong here, because they've got to sign Derek Carr Unless first. Derek Carr's still out there. That's in April, though. He's not going to mm. wait that long. He's probably going to sign within the next uh, month um, or two. And how... If you can get Derek Carr on a one-year deal, I might I jump at that, if you, and that's the problem, because I don't know if I'd do that if I'm Carolina, I he, if I could get one of those guys. I think you probably get something approaching the um, the Kirk Cousins deal. Three years, I don't 30 know if I, a year. I don't know if I'd do that if I'm Carolina, though. Who, Just, who would you do that, then? If you're, the Jets. if you're blank, who do you do that? I would do that if I'm the Jets. I, I think there's like three to four teams that I would do that if I were them. Washington makes a ton of sense to go and do that kind of contract with Derek they Carr. They're going to just stick with their two guys that I, they rotate. I, I think they, I know there's been reports they like Sam Howell. You know what? That smells like BS to me. That feels like a Lamar potential spot too. Yeah. Uh, Carolina was one that I thought made sense. Tampa Bay would make sense moving on to find your next quarterback. And another one that I would throw out there and the, oh, notice how all these are in the NFC uh, would be Seattle. I, I think he's better than Gino. And I think you've got some weapons there in Seattle. I would be willing to move on from Gino who's a pending UFA give Carr the similar deal to Kirk Cousins I I think you make your team that much better I think they make a lot of sense here's a question if you're the Giants and you have both of these quarterbacks available to you would you rather have let's say it's the same contract even three years basically a hundred million dollars for either of these two guys would you rather have Daniel Jones or Derek Carr take everything into account mobility ability throwing the ball like take everything into account age same contracts you can have Carr or Daniel Jones, which one would you rather have? I don't even have to think years? about it. It's yeah, Carr. It's Derek Carr. It, it, it's definitely Derek Carr. The, the thing is, though, is what are you doing around him with I the rest Daniel of the I think Daniel Jones only works with Brian Dable. I think after that, he's a backup quarterback. Brian Dable's the only one that can use of Daniel Jones. That's the one that immediately comes to mind for me. I think he would be good there. I think that... I, I Derek Carr? Yeah. I think you would find out that Derek Carr's a little better than what we've seen previously. I think he's like the 12th best quarterback in the league. And I think Daniel Jones is closer to like the 18th best quarterback in the league. If you put him in the Giants, put him in the NFC, I think we'd suddenly be like, hey, Derek Carr's pretty decent. He would get the same treatment as Kirk Cousins, where some people overrate him and therefore we have to pull it back a little bit. But in general, Vikings fans are probably pretty happy with Kirk Cousins as a quarterback right now. They won 13 games last year. I think you could see something similar with Derek Carr if he was on the Giants. Coming up in 10 minutes, what is the most important thing that the Blues replace in the offseason from the guys that they're losing at the trade deadline? Is it the shot in skill of Vladimir Tarasenko? Is it the two-way player and leadership of Ryan O'Reilly? Or is it the grit, sandpaper, and ability to fill any role like an Ivan Barbashev? We'll get into that coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Questions and answers is next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text 314-399-9646. BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with carltoninsurance.net. 
is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers. Let's get to this uh, from the 31 or 636, rather. Guys, how likely do you think it is that Thomas Grice ends up traded at the deadline? Alex, what do you got on that? I would say I'd put it at like a three in terms of confidence level or less. Out of 10? Yeah. Uh, it, there's a, there's always a possibility because contending teams, if they don't have two goaltenders they can trust, I could see them saying it's a veteran who's had a lot of success this season with a bad defense in front of them. But I don't know if a team's going to be going after that because there are going to be other guys available. There's a couple of starters that might be available on the trade market. So I would say I'd put it at a confidence level of a two or three that he gets moved. I'd probably go five because I think it's 50-50 that he ends up getting moved because I think it is kind of what you're saying. Somebody may look at him and say, you know, he's better than our backup option. Or we still got, what is it, three weeks before the trade deadline. There's always a chance that a goalie gets hurt and it changes the equation of what teams are looking at. So. I would put it at 50-50 right now in terms of whether or not Grice gets dealt. That's where I'm at as well. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. From the 636, guys, have any of you ever been fans of the WWE? Do you see yourself watching in the future? It is so much fun for me to watch. I was curious if you guys feel the same way. From when I was, whenever I can remember, up until I think when I graduated high school, I my dad and I watched it religiously. I mean, I was the Steve Austin, the Rock Undertaker era, but then I got away from it once college hit and haven't really gotten back into it much since. Yeah, I'm saying I never really watched wrestling, so I never really did end up getting into it. But I know all the names just because they're out there in the mainstream media. So I could like pick them apart if you told me, oh, can you name who this is? I could do it. But like, I've never really watched it. Like when I was 10, 12, 13, religiously, like Sunday pay-per-views, my dad and I were watching them. Monday nights, we were watching it, but... You know, you get busy and you trail off. And then it kind of, I don't know, it kind of got stale after a while once they got away from like the uh, the Attitude Era and turned into like the PG Era. It got a little little stale for me. Never been in it. Uh, just hasn't done it for me. I went to one um, like WrestleMania, I think it was, whenever I was younger. But that was it. Uh, never been to anything since. Uh, all right. From the 314. Guys, rank these free agent potential quarterbacks this offseason. Who would you want to have? Don't take into account contract, but rank these guys on who is the best. Derek Carr, Ryan Tannehill, Jimmy Garoppolo, Daniel Jones. Carr, Tannehill, Jimmy, Daniel Jones. How would you rank those four quarterbacks? I would go Carr. Jimmy G, no, Carr, Tannehill, Jimmy G, Daniel Jones. Interesting. See, I definitely agree Carr one. I probably would go Jimmy G two because I've seen he's a really good game manager. I would probably go Tannehill three and I would go Jones four. I'm close to that. I've got Carr one. I think I'm going Daniel Jones two because I think he can become what Ryan Tannehill was in Tennessee and he's much younger. So I would go Carr 1, Daniel Jones 2, Jimmy G3, Tannehill 4. Tannehill's, when you combine the injuries with the age, I think I would have him last on that list. Carr, Daniel Jones, Jimmy, Tannehill would probably be my ranking of those guys. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Pakoda's projections are out, baby, and they are exactly what they always are they hate your team and we'll tell you why coming up at 12 15 but next what is the most important skill set that the blues are likely to lose at the deadline to replace in the offseason we'll discuss it next year on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn
Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. So the Blues need a lot. We know that. They've struggled all season long, and that's why they're in the position to sell off their assets as we get closer to the trade deadline. But Alex, there are certain skill sets that are more important than others and certain skill sets that are more important to replace than others. And that's what I wanted to discuss here today. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we'll talk about why Pakota still hates the Cardinals. But right now, what do you think is the most important skill set for the Blues to replace among the players that they're likely to lose at the deadline? So they already shipped out Vladimir Tarasenko. That would be the the, the skill guy, right? Great shot, ability to score, the, the flash, the pizzazz, all the stuff that I love in hockey, right? He's He is the Jordan Cairo eight years from now type of a player. Is that the most important? Or is it the two-way ability plus leadership of a guy like Ryan O'Reilly? Is it Ivan Barbashev who kind of fills in any capacity, right? He can be uh, the, the classic glue guy for your team. Middle six forward that can play up or down depending on what you need. Alex, when you look towards this offseason, if you could add one one skill set, one specific thing to the Blues, what is it going to be that is most important for them to be able to replace? It's the leadership ability of Ryan O'Reilly, that two-way ability, because you have the other two in-house. You've got the skill of Vladimir Tarasenko and multiple guys. You've got Jordan Kairou's shot. You've got the uh, the passing and playmaking ability of Robert Thomas. You've got the two-way ability of Pavel Buchnevich, and then you've got Brandon Saad and Braden Chen. You've got that talent. Uh, I believe you have the Ivan Barbashev glue up and down in the lineup guy, too. I think Brandon Saad is a lot like that guy. I think Jake Neighbors will be that guy next season. And honestly, a guy like an Alexi Torpchenko would be that guy next season for you. But what you don't have is if you move on from Ryan O'Reilly, you don't have that leadership ability that he possesses. And I, looking at this team, you've been missing that for some for some time now. And it's more evident than ever. You took out David Perron from this offseason. But prior to that, when you lost Bowmeister, when you lost Steen, when you lost Petro, when you lost a little bit of Pat Maroon and a little bit of Oscar Sundquist, I mean, it just slowly dissipated out of that locker room. And Craig Berube discussed it. Doug Armstrong discussed it, that that um, that identity of the Blues is a little bit missing right now. And I think it's because you've moved on from all of these players. You need those guys back in that locker room. And that's the one thing I don't think you have right now. So I, I kind of agree with you in terms of I, I do think leadership would be that one, but I think my counterpoint to it and why I would lean towards more of the goal scorer is because it's tough to bring in a guy and have him become the leader immediately in, in the locker room for the St. Louis Blues in the offseason. I, I I think that leadership, how you said, you know, they've got the scoring guys internally and they've got uh, the glue guys internally. I, I, I think the leadership has to come from internally. I, I'm not sure you can truly bring in a guy – in this offseason and have him take over that role of leadership. I think that has to come from inside that locker room. I think that has to come from guys like Robert Thomas stepping up and taking that role or Jordan Cairo taking that role. Shen, if he ends up being the next captain of the Blues, taking that role. So that would be kind of my counterpoint to it. I think that's why I would lean towards, I think they need to go and get a shooter slash scorer like they had in Vladdy because Though their defense is a problem this year, I think it's going to continue to be a problem next year. I think they will try to retool this. I think it's going to be a tough task, and I think they're going to be built like I think they are built this year, which is if we're going to win, we're going to have to outscore our problems. And that's why I would say they need to go get a goal scorer and try and get back to being that team that is just going to outperform their defensive issues. So when I look at what the Blues have coming back next year, I think your top line is likely to be, or top six really, is likely to be some combination of these players. Saad, Thomas, Kairou, Buchnevich, Shin, and then blank. I, I don't know who that right winger is right now. But I think 
five of those six spots basically spoken for. Jake Neighbors, I think, is probably on your third line going into next year. And I'm not sure what the rest of that line looks like because it could be Nolachari if he ends up being back next season. Could be somebody else that's on a Nolachari type of a deal. And I have no idea who that right wing is either. That's why I lean towards where Tanner's at. I, I do think that ability to get a 25-plus goal consistent score on that right wing on the second line, from a pure hockey standpoint, I think that's what they're missing. I also think Braden Shin can be the guy that we're talking about. And I don't know what's gone wrong with the culture and the direction of the team this year. I can't explain it. I can't. And Braden Shin's in that locker room, so maybe maybe they do need somebody else to be added to the mix. I think it's really hard in general, though, for you to be able to go out and pluck a player from the open market coming from the outside to bring them in to become that guy. Alex, can you remember a player that came in from the outside that had no history here that became like a prominent member of the Blues leadership core immediately? I think you could say maybe Ryan O'Reilly. I'm not sure there's a Ryan O'Reilly. I mean, but to be fair... Pat Maroon came in and they had one of the worst three months to start the season ever. Absolutely. And then it changed when they got a new leadership involved with their coaching staff. But that locker room was. It, it, it was it, terrible the first three months, though. They they sent out the list, the shopping list at Christmas saying, hey, if you want any players, come and get them. Absolutely. And Pat Maroon was on that list. But I was in that locker room every single day and it never felt that way. I've been in, in, in the, December. Yeah. Oh, dude, totally disagree. Dude, I, I mean, that I was in that locker room. Disaster. It doesn't matter. I was in that locker room every single day, and those guys were joking around. They were talking. They were laughing. I've been in that locker room this season, and it, it's it's crickets. There's a difference of having energy in a room, even if you're playing poorly. And that's why, and to T-Bone's point of, of saying, like, it's tough to, to get a guy and have him be. Do you think that's pe- just because of Pat Maroon? Like they, no, that, there that was a ton had, of dudes in there. But, yeah. I mean, Alexander Steen was one of those guys, and Jay Bomeister was one of those. They had a lot of those guys and in that's there. You can't add that. One guy doesn't bring that back. You, you and, added and, three guys, that four guys that offseason that added it, though. Cor- correct. And I th- doing that again Hitting the lottery twice at, but, in a five-year stretch in an offseason is damn near impossible. But look at the Detroit Red Wings this season. Detroit had 19 victories last year. They add one player this offseason in David Perron, and I know they added Ville Husso. they didn't add just one, yeah. Ville Husso. And they were already a team that was on the up. Part of what's gone right for them this season is— You won 17 is, and 19 games in back-to-back seasons. You weren't on the up. They, they thought were, this was though. still rebuilding. But they didn't. That's why they went out and got yeah, David Perron. Yeah, they don't Perron. get Perron if, if they think they're rebuilding. But Iserman still. even said when they got David Perron, they were looking at this as the— Start of something, but it wasn't it this season. They're going to make the playoffs this year but from one guy. It's not from one guy. Though. It is from one guy. Dylan Larkin is on pace for 85 points this and year. And he was on pace for that two seasons ago. Right. And but they now won he's 17 doing it on games. a team that has the core to be able to win. And because so you add elements off ice that make a difference. I mean, they also added cop during the off season. Like they, they, they've added a lot of pieces. They added to Ben Sherrod on this. And you mentioned yesterday, you think he's having a better season. They added my guy, Oli Mata, who's having a good season for them this year. Like they, they added a lot in the off season. I disagree with your assessment of them, but like they, they are at a very different place in their lifespan of an organization than the blues are right now in, in theirs. Like they, who was there 
leadership core prior to bringing in David Bryant. I don't know that they really had one. I think the Blues do have that already internally. I don't know if they do because you're coaching. Then did we overestimate what Braden Shin was as a leader going into the we, last couple of years? I think we underestimated what David Perron was to this team when you take him out of the lineup and you made decisions to move on from other guys who were those players. But let's be real here. You could go back to that 2019 season where they did question the culture. But again, I was in that locker room and I saw it. Like the locker room was as tight as you can ask, even when you were like franchise worst, you don't have that vibe. And now that they're questioning the culture and the players resembling that, I, you can go out there and sign Dylan Larkin and your team's going to be better. There's no question. And I'm not denying that. I would love to get a Dylan Larkin or a David Pasternak, but I don't think you can get those guys because they're going to cost you too much. But I think if you're going to go into the offseason and let's just throw the name Nino Niederreiter out there, and I know he's not a free agent, but he was the guy that I brought up last year. Like that player who brings a certain skill set to your team, that's great. You've got that guy. But I, I I think you need something more than that in that locker room that resembles what Ryan O'Reilly was, but also what resembles what the group of players were in that locker room that you've lost. My concern with what we're doing there is that when you try to recreate the culture off the ice that you had previously, you're chasing what the Cardinals chased with the 2011 club. You can't recreate that, man. That was a special feeling, a special group of individuals. And you look back at that 2011 Cardinals team, look at how many of those guys are now in coaching. There's a reason for that. It's because that was the the type of player that was a part of that club. If the Cardinals just tried to recreate the 2011 Cardinals over and over and over again, they would fail consistently. Because trying to recreate that group of players is impossible. I think that is what trying to recreate the 2019 club for the Blues would be doing, in my opinion. I very well could be wrong on this, Alex, but I think trying to recreate culture is harder than trying to recreate the the type of team on the ice that can win and then hoping that those guys are able to mesh and click off the ice. I, I think that's the way that I would look at it going into the offseason. I would also add this. I think part of what you said there is a really important caveat. I don't know that the player that I'm talking about is available in the offseason in free agency. I don't think you can I don't think Dylan Larkin's the guy that's going to come in here and be the type of player that they need. I don't know I, like going out there and getting I, I don't think Pasternak's going to realistically be available to them. I, I think he's going to resign. I think the player that we're talking about is probably coming via trade. It's going to be who is the next Pavel Buchnevich for the Blues, where you're buying what you believe is low on a player that you can get on a reasonable contract, maybe six million bucks per season. And you're betting on him being the next top six forward for you. That's what, And the truth of the matter is, he probably needs to be kind of like Pavel Buchnevich, where it is an all-around game. And you're not trying to replace one of these skill sets. You're trying to get a little bit of all of it in that one specific player. So there, there is a middle ground with everything that we're saying here. But trying to recreate that 2019 locker room, I think is going to be a really, really difficult thing to do, yeah. regardless of who they bring into this and, uh, locker room. And just so I can clarify, I, I don't I don't believe you can recreate that 2019 culture because you go you get that because you go through adversity. But what I do believe is important and kind of the the way I'm looking at it is if you're going this route where you're going to be drafting somebody in the top 10, top five, realistically, if you're going this route where you're bringing in a new era you have to have players who have winning backgrounds behind them on your team. And I know you got some of them in Saad and Shen, um, but that's about it. And, uh, of course, the, the Parekos. But 
Like the Montreal Canadiens are a perfect example of what you don't want to do for sure because you've been drafting guys in the top one, top two, top three and saying like, okay, let's build this. Edmonton's another really good one. Um, if, if you're going down that route and you don't have the guys who have that winning culture and that uh, identity to play a winning brand of hockey, which they've got away from this season, then those young players don't grow. That's why if I can find somebody, and you're right, this person's not available via free agency. So you're going to have to do it via trade. But I want to get somebody who knows what it takes to win at the NHL level and pluck him into a locker room with guys who are still trying to figure that out and guys who have already established it like Shannon Saad. When they acquired Pat Maroon, cause just because you brought him up, and we'll get to the Pakoda hating the Cardinals here in just a minute, um, was he a player that, knew how to win or did he become a player that knew how to win once he won here and then continued doing so in Tampa Bay? I believe he knew how to win because he played with the Anaheim Ducks the seasons that they were going to the playoffs every single year. He played, I believe it was one year with the New Jersey Devils when they made the playoffs. I don't know if he made the playoffs with Edmonton, but I believe he knew how to win. He was a complimentary piece, but you look at the other guys that they got, uh, Ryan O'Reilly didn't know how to win, so he's kind of the exception to this. And but. that's where I think it's tough. Is like it, It's hard to – it's something that I think we do in hockey maybe more than any other sport. Anthony Rendon honestly got signed in part because of this because he was a quote-unquote winning player coming off of the World Series. That's worked well. I, I think you have winning teams. I think you have winning organizations. And then I think players – are either like a part of that or they end up failing within that structure. And if they do, like Kyrie Irving, not a winning player, despite the fact that he's been in winning organizations throughout his career. I think the Blues are a winning organization. And if you get the right players in here, they can become winning players here with the right set of circumstances. I, think I don't necessarily the... know that they need to bring in guys that have been around winning previously. I don't. I look at it as that was the way prior, but you've lost all of that. In a lot of guys. Interesting. And now, I mean, you've got to fix it because you might be going down a path that leads closer to rebuild if you don't. See, and I think it's a winning organization. I think it's just a lack of talent this year. And that's where I would go. You need the goal scoring. Is You need to go get a players that talent will bring back that winning, quote-unquote, culture in the in the locker room. Because we always I say that's right on the defensive side. I think that's right on the defensive side. But offensive side, you're, you're potentially going to end the season with three-point-per-game players. You've got the talent there. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're talking to Jeremy Rutherford. I want to get his thoughts on this. What what are the Blues missing? What what do they need to add either at the deadline or as we certainly get closer into the offseason? We'll talk to JR about that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But next, Pakota still hates the Cardinals. This should be no surprise to you if you've been following along over, you know, the last decade. We'll talk about it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Cardinals good team, not great, right? Could be great, though, Anthony. That's a lot of ifs. Pitching staff, good. Very good. Solid. Not great. Defense, great. Lineup, good. Good. Could be but great. Good. Could be, could be above good. No matter how many bourbons you've had, would you ever... Would you have put the, the Yankees, Padres, Dodgers, and Blue Jays behind the Cardinals to win the World Series? No. I. Um, what are we missing here with the metrics? Was that the fast side of Pakoda talking yesterday here on 101 ESPN? Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We'll talk to Jeremy Rutherford in about 10 minutes or so. But Alex, the annual Pakoda projections are out, baby. Here we go. How do you... Came into the office today. BK was standing on his chair, twirling his shirt around, singing Pakoda. Yeah, it it's Pakoda Day! It's Pakoda Day! 
It's Bakoda Day. The British are coming. The British are coming. <laughs> so I love this because it's the annual tradition of us being able to yell at a projection system for not loving the Cardinals. Now, it's funny because I've been yelled at all offseason for agreeing with some of the projection systems that like the Cardinals. That is not typically the case. Zips doesn't typically love the Cardinals. Steamer doesn't typically love the Cardinals. This year's different. I think in large part because the offense projects very well, and that is regardless of the projection system you get to. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. Alex, here are the top projected teams in the National League this year, according to Pakoda. And if you're not familiar, this is a baseball uh, prospectus projection system. They've been doing this for uh, like 20 years, and they come out every offseason with what the algorithm spits out on what they're expecting for the baseball season. It's a fun annual tradition, nothing more, nothing less. They're top teams in the National League going into this season. The Mets and the Dodgers both projected to win 97 games. After that, it is the Padres at 94 wins, the Atlanta Braves at 92 wins, the Phillies at 90 wins, and then in a tie for seventh place in the National League, it is... Do you have to do a drum roll when we know what you're going to say next? <laughs> the Brewers and the Cardinals. Oh, this is trash! At 87 wins. Trash, T-Bone. Say it with me. Garbage. Garbage. So somebody on the text line from the 573 said, BK, how far off has Pakoda been on the Cardinals over the last five years? How does that play into the way that you view this Cardinals Oh, I'm sure you have those numbers. You bet your ass I do, Alex Oh, yeah. Last year, Pakoda projected the Cardinals to win... 77 games. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> they won 93. Good God. That is a plus 16 on the margin. In 2021, they projected the Cardinals to win 81 games. They won 90. That is a plus 9 on the I'll season. I'll give them credit. They were almost close on that one. <laughs> In 2000. And- Every blind squirrel finds a nut. Wasn't 2021 the year that they had the bad pitching? Yeah, it was the year that they ended up winning 17 games in a row. That counts. Yeah, okay, uh, sure. <laughs> that team made a trade deadline acquisition, trading John Gant to the whatever team was the they twins. were playing against. The Twins? Yeah, they were at the field, and it was an easy trade. 2019, they projected 87 wins. The Cardinals won 91. 2018, they projected 84 wins. Cardinals won 28. And in 2017, they projected uh, 76 wins. The Cardinals won 83 games that year. They have been off by at least four games in a positive way. Cardinals won at least four more than Bakota's projections every season over the last five years. In fact, they have won at least two more than the projections every year over the last decade. Here are the margins. Plus 13, plus 2, plus 11, plus 4, plus 7, plus 4, plus 4, plus 9, plus 16. Bakota, for whatever reason, just doesn't evaluate the Cardinals the way that we do. They don't evaluate the Cardinals the way that the team does. And more often than not, in fact, every year over the last decade, they've been wrong. They've been low on the Cardinals. I think the same is very likely true once again this year. I think projecting them to finish seventh in the National League is really light, in my opinion. I would obviously not have them projected that low. Um, But Alex, what is your reaction when you see that Pakoda has them projected to win 87 games and finish tied atop the NL Central 7th in the National League? I usually don't get that worked up over this because I'm like you. I I look at it and say, yeah, of course, they're going to be low on this. This is how it goes. And they're probably going to win 15 more games than that. But I was surprised that they had them lower than Milwaukee because it is very clear, just based roster, 
the Cardinals have a better team than the Milwaukee Brewers. I get it. They have an ace in Corbin Burns, and they've got better pitching at the top end than what the Cardinals have. I'm higher on the Cardinals pitching than most. But the offense is significantly night and day better than the Milwaukee Brewers, and that should give them the leverage there. So a, a little surprised by it because as much as we sit here and say, like, yeah, Pakoda got it wrong, they'll get it wrong. But to still sit here and say Milwaukee's a better team by their rating system is just not true to me. Yeah, I was actually shocked. I thought this was going to be the year in which Pakota would be a little bit higher on the Cardinals and have them around that 90-win mark. I thought so, too. I, I was stunned to see that they were right there with Milwaukee because I, I agree with Alex. I think when you look at the rosters, take away the projections for a second, you, you can see that the Cardinals have a better all-around roster than Milwaukee. Yes, they do have, I think, better pitching in terms of I, I think their top three guys in their rotation basically kind of cancel out the bottom four and five to make the rotation better than what the Cardinals have but offensively they're nowhere near to what the St. Louis Cardinals are bullpen wise they might have the slight edge but I just think the offense is such a big uh big question mark for Milwaukee that I can't see them winning 87 games I, I think they're a team that's gonna be right around 500 this year is Milwaukee so I, I was actually just stunned to believe that they did not have them winning 90 games. I, I truly thought this was going to be the year which the Dakota projections would be higher on St. Louis. It's worth noting, the Cardinals, according to this system, this system even, despite being low on the Cardinals, is still high on their offense. Everybody loves the Cardinals' offense except for Cardinals fans, it seems <laughs> like. The according, according to this projection system, they have the fourth best offense, fourth highest scoring offense in Major League Baseball, behind only the Dodgers, the Mets, and the Padres. That's it. Those three teams are ahead of them. They would be the number one offense in the American League, according to these projections. The problem for them is the problem that a lot of us have, and that's the pitching. They are projected to have uh, allow 40 more runs this year than the Brewers. They're projected to allow 70 more runs this year than the Mets and about 40 more runs than the Padres. So how do you end up behind these teams? It's, it's because of the pitching. So, But it, your if, offense is supposed to be incredible. And your pitching is like, there's no way your offense is expected. But what they're saying is that your offense is going to be elite and your pitching is going to be bottom 15 in Major League. How do people look at this pitching staff and say it's going to be that bad? That's going to be what determines the outcome of their season. I just don't disagree. I'm with you, Alex. I'm totally with you. But the way that Bakota ends up being right, because we were all like, how could the athletic be so low on the blues? And we were trying to look for explanations and they ended up being right. The same thing could be true with Pakoda. They could be right on the Cardinals. And if they are, the way they're right is that the pitching ends up being worse than what we're currently projecting it to be. Dom just got lucky this year. I, <laughs> Did the same thing last year, and they nearly I, beat Colorado. Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for The Athletic, joins us next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dom's Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex is in a fight on our text line. I'm aggressively Get typing. Him. I'm aggressively texting. With somebody on text line like I BK told does. Alex during the break. Alex, don't let them hurt you, man. Nah, don't let them hurt they can't, you. They can't, they get, can't to get to you. me anymore. I just like to respond every once in a while. Alex then let out a war cry, which was uh, an interesting <laughs> I way to, to Ryder, did you go. hear my war cry through this soundproof? No? Okay, okay. good. That means I, I'm that means I'm safe. It was impressive. T Bone and I, you know, we gotta let our 
aggression out every yeah. once in a while, you know? I, I go won- home and screw into a pillow after dealing with BK all day. Hey, <laughs> do that too. I just took a victory lap the entire break on, on Tanner. Yeah, he was like those dancers <laughs> at the Super Bowl halftime come jogging out. He was running around like that. <laughs> right now right. we're going out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by our friend, the Blues Insider for the Athletic. He is Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on the show. JR, do you ever let the commenters get to you, man? They get, they get to Alex every <laughs> once in a while here on the show. Oh, every once in a while. I guess I got to be honest there every once in a while. But to quote the famous uh, Kelly Chase, I think if Alex fought this uh, commenter in, in real life, Alex would finish third in that fight. I was about to say, I was, I wonder where this is going because it's certainly not a win. One of my uh, <laughs> one of my favorite comments, JR, is a comedian that I listen to all the time, Dan Cummins. He's like, uh, if you don't like my opinions, you know, uh, you know, who am I? I'm just a guy. But also, <laughs> who the hell are you? <laughs> that's, a, that's great. All right, JR, uh, let's get to one of the reports that came out earlier today. Uh, this came from our friend Kevin Weeks of ESPN.com saying that Ivan Barbashev is going to be one of the most sought after players at the deadline. He believes that the asking price from the Blues is likely to end up somewhere around a first or a second round pick and a prospect of significance. Is that where you're at on on Ivan Barbashev? And at this point, are you kind of in the, the camp that it's very likely to, that he's going to be traded by the deadline? Yeah, I am. And I think we've kind of known this in the month leading up uh, to the deadline that he was going to be a wanted guy. And there's a couple of reasons for it. It's because of his uh, salary. He, you know, he's just at the 2.25. And I think that uh, he outplays that contract. When you think about a guy who can play third, fourth line, or even slide up to the second line if you need him in a pinch, we've seen that. Plus, he's a Stanley Cup uh, guy who, who won in 2019 with the Blues, of course. And he's a guy who also can play both ends of the special teams with the power play and the PK. This is exactly the type of guy you need in the Stanley Cup playoffs. We saw that with Sunquist and Steen on that fourth line. Barbashev was terrific. So there is a high demand for Barbashev. I've been curious if they could get a first-round draft pick. I don't know that they're going to get that, but definitely a second-round pick and possibly some prospects. We'll have a story outlining a lot of this at The Athletic tomorrow. How big is that for Doug Armstrong, JR? If, if he can walk away from this trade deadline with three including their own first round picks and potentially four it's it's incredible because uh, i think going into this we didn't think that barbashev would would draw a first rounder you know i touched on that and maybe he doesn't get one but i think that maybe it changes your thinking with ryan o'reilly if you went into this and you're doug armstrong and you say okay i could get two additional firsts with tarasenko and possibly ryan o'reilly but if you can get a first with ivan barbashev as i reported yesterday at the athletic there is some talk between the blues and O'Reilly about a possible contract extension. Who knows where that goes? But I think if you can get a first for Ivan Barbashev, that's probably a move you make. And then if you listen to Doug Armstrong in his press conference a week or so ago, he mentioned the fact that you can take those picks and trade up. And and even a guy in the late first round probably isn't going to be ready for a couple years. But if you can take two picks in that general area late in the first round, move up higher, maybe you get into that top 15, maybe you get a player that's available in the next couple years. All right, JR, let's go on to the uh, the O'Reilly side of things here. You mentioned you had the report over in The Athletic that the Blues are at least considering or talking about a potential contract extension with him. Uh, how, how would you handicap this right now? What would you say, like, the odds that O'Reilly signs an extension before the deadline and then the odds that O'Reilly is traded at the deadline are what? And this is all subject to, ch- to change based on the, the latest reporting that you have. But as of yeah. today, where would that be? Yeah, all subject to uh, to change. But, you know, I hate to be a guy who rides the fence 50-50, so maybe we say 60% chance that he still gets traded, 40% chance that there's a re-sign. 
you know, I've been saying for a couple of weeks that I still think I wouldn't be shocked that uh, there's a possibility that he could come back. And as you continue to report this, that hasn't changed recently. I still think there's mutual interest on both the Blues and the O'Reilly camp uh, to try to get something done here in St. Louis. But, and this is a huge but, Doug Armstrong is going to continue to listen to the offers that might be available to him. And even if he wants him to come back, and even if Ryan O'Reilly would take a team-friendly discount, Doug Armstrong has to be smart about this and take a great offer if it's out there, even if he'd like him to come back. And then maybe that brings in the potential of trying to re-sign him in the offseason, as small as that percentage might be. So we'll see. I think it's going to depend on the offer, uh, but I'll stick to the fact that I think there's mutual interest on both sides to bring him back. Uh, this is potentially reckless speculation territory, JR, and I apologize for putting you into this spot, but what do you think the offer would have to look like for both sides to feel comfortable with O'Reilly coming back? I mean, maybe it's maybe it's better this way. What do you think Doug Armstrong would want the offer to look like for O'Reilly to be back? Well, we saw that uh, they wanted a first-rounder in Tarasenko, and, and that was no surprise. And when Doug got that deal, he, he made it quickly. Uh, I think that, of course, uh, an O'Reilly deal would also have to include a first-rounder. You know, the other the other deal, Tarasenko, a fourth-rounder that could be bumped to a third. If the Rangers make the playoffs, it looks like that'll happen. So are you looking for a first and a third? I think that's a potential. You know, maybe if you don't get the third, maybe you get a better prospect than the Blues got in the in the Tarasenko deal. But I think any sort of uh, mixed matching of that type of package, a first, uh, you know, maybe a second or a third, and, and a prospect would be something that uh, you, you couldn't say no to. Right? You know, and as much as you want to bring O'Reilly back for the reasons that I mentioned in the article yesterday, maybe they're not ready to turn it over to Kyra and Thomas in terms of a leadership perspective. They still want Ryan O'Reilly and what he brings as far as culture uh, to this group. As much as you want that, I don't think you could pass up a big uh, package like that. Uh, the thing that I've heard from a lot of people in the last couple of weeks is if you're going to do any sort of retool, you know, commit to it. Don't go into it halfway. You know, I still think there's a chance that they, they go into that retool by trading Tarasenko, trading Barbashev, and perhaps keeping Ryan O'Reilly around if that deal isn't there. I should have asked this better, JR. That's on me. What do you think the contract offer would have to be for Doug Armstrong to feel comfortable bringing O'Reilly back? Oh, I apologize. Okay. No, no, no. That's yeah, on yeah, me. That, you're the, good. No, no, the flip side of that. So, yeah, in terms of the contract, I think that it would be a situation where, you know, it's it's got to be in that $5 million range. I really do think that. And anytime you start getting into any more than that, I don't know that the Blues would be interested. The key here is, you know, do, do, do you meet somewhere where it's a three-year deal? Do you have to give them a fourth year maybe to bring the AAV down to $5 million? I think some, anywhere in that general vicinity would be the type of deal that maybe could get a deal done with the Blues. Jer, we were uh, discussing this earlier, and I'm curious your thoughts. Let's go down the hypothetical path that Ryan O'Reilly does get moved and they ship out the unrestricted free agents. When you move into next season, if you're Doug Armstrong, what would you view the importance of trying to put this team back into the competitive window? Would you look for a skill set that was more of Vladimir Tarasenko, where it's that top six winger who can score goals? Or would you be looking more for that leadership, that Ryan O'Reilly captaincy locker room type of player? I think if you move O'Reilly and you come back with, uh, and and you've already moved Tarasenko, and let's say you move Barbashev too, so that's three solid players being moved out of your top nine. You're definitely going to have to find some sort of replacement up there. I don't know that you're looking for a top-tier guy, upper echelon guy who's going to come in and, and kind of be what Ryan O'Reilly has been the past couple of years for this team in terms of leadership and, you know, producing a few years ago when O'Reilly was doing that. I think at that point you're kind of turning it over to Thomas and Kyrou. You're, you're making that decision. 
you know, you're, you're going to have to bring somebody, a player or two, in up front to compensate for all those losses. But to me, the focus is still going to have to be on this defense. And uh, I think the summer will be judged graded on if Doug Armstrong's able to do anything on the back end. And, you know, you can't have that conversation without talking about how impossible that could be to move some of those contracts with term. But, you know, you know, bigger things have done been done in the NHL with rosters and, and moves that you didn't see coming. So I think that there would always be that possibility if Doug Armstrong could try to make something work on the back end. So there's going to be definitely some holes. I mean, there are guys that are going to be shipped out, uh, Alex and uh, BK. And, and I think that uh, Doug Armstrong is going to have a busy off season. Uh, but I think as much as we sit here and talk about all these forwards being shipped out and trying to replace them, uh, the bigger issue at hand is going to be the defense. Speaking of the defense, uh, David Panyota of uh, the fourth period, JR, yesterday had the report that potentially Colton Pareko is gaining some interest. What did you make of those rumors? Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. And, you know, I think that anything that mentions Pareko is going to get some attention. Uh, when you talk about seven years left on that deal, I think, it's, as we've talked about, it's going to be difficult. You know, a lot of people have asked me, would uh, Doug Armstrong juice that up by moving a first-rounder to, to get somebody to take Colton Preco's contract? And it wouldn't be just for the contract. Obviously, the other team would like the player, too. You have to when you're taking on uh, seven years. You know, I don't know that Doug Armstrong would juice a deal like that. But, look, we just talked about having two, three, maybe a potential of four first-round picks. So if you're Doug Armstrong and you're really trying to shape this thing and you've got that third or that fourth first-round pick, maybe that is the way to make something happen in the offseason to mix up that defense and make it look different coming back to next year. So I wouldn't rule anything out with Doug Armstrong, and I certainly wouldn't rule anything out in terms of how he is going to have to shape this defense because this is just not some common offseason situation with what he has on the back end in terms of money and term just a little housekeeping uh jr for me real quick uh because the text line wants to know would you would you if you're doug look at a pareko for mayfield swap no that's not that is not the conversation what do you mean jr what do you think is better in the long-term health of the organization having colton pareko on his current deal or moving that deal if they can without attaching picks to it, and then getting a Scott Mayfield type on a maybe 2 to $3 million deal for a couple of seasons, and then you can use that money elsewhere. That is the conversation. That's what I said. It's not so, Scott so, Mayfield versus Pareko. That's what I said. <laughs> so normally, you guys know that I listen a lot, but I haven't been listening in the past couple hours. By you saying that it was a commenter on the text line, Alex, and then BK jumping in there, was this a BK comment? It was I'm a question that we got on the text line. We were talking about this yesterday. He's about, the dancer at the halftime show from Sunday. Yeah, no, 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 yeah. no, no. It was a question on the text line, and we brought it up as a discussion point on what do the Blues do? Like, if this Pareko stuff comes to fruition and they decided to trade him off, some team values him, right? And they give you a third-round pick, and they said it's basically the salary that you're able to get off of your books. And then in the offseason, how do you replace Pareko? Because that was Alex's point. It's a good one. He's, he's playing 23 minutes a night. That's, that's a lot to be able to replace. And I said, yeah, go out and get a Scott Mayfield type. He's available this offseason. Play him 20 minutes like he is right now for his uh, Islanders team. And then you're able to utilize that extra $4 million that you're not spending on Pareko to improve your team elsewhere. That, that was my argument. Alex's argument is basically Pareko's better player. Which is a fair Yeah, one. no, I would agree with Alex here. I think that as much as we criticize uh, Colton Preco, and, and look, you know, there's there's a lot of nights where you just think about the length of that contract and, and how he's performing. 
Uh, I think he is better than a lot of the other options. Now, people could say, how is that possible? People could say, you could go out and get, okay, who who can you get? Who Which teams are giving up these guys that you could bring in? And people are going to say anybody. That's just not the case. This guy's playing 23 minutes, and when he plays the way he's capable of playing, which isn't a lot, I'm going to give you that, it, it, he's still better than a lot of these other options that are available. That's the key. you got to hear that, that are available. So, to me, let's say you moved Colton Pareko, you got a third-round pick, somebody took on the salary, so on and so forth, and now you got a defense that has some sort of uh, assemblance of a Justin Falk, and it's got a Scott Mayfield on there. Is it better? I don't know. I mean, do you have more money to spend elsewhere on the roster? Yeah, for sure. So it could help in that regard. Yeah. But I don't, th- I don't think that makes the defense any better. I, I really don't. JR, Thank you, Jerry. That's all right. You got the right to be to be wrong. That's that's okay. JR, we can, we've all had our bad moments. I will send out to our text line, which is 314-399-9646, the Michael Scott thank you bow. At J.P. Rutherford, ladies and gentlemen, that's where you can tweet him uh, on the tweet machines, and then he uh, can get... Be careful, get, JR. You just he, sided with me, so it's about to get aggressive. Twitter fingers going the way that Alex did on the text line it's about a little to bit get aggressive. today. By the way, JR had a great piece earlier yeah. on Vladimir Tarasenko. Awesome. Uh, some stories from David Backus, Jaden Schwartz, Paul Stasny, Kevin Shattenkirk, Jake Allen, Ken Hitchcock, and Mike Yo on Vladdy and how he's going to be remembered for his time in St. Louis. Uh, JR, great piece earlier today. People can find that over at the athletic huge thanks for hopping on with us as always we'll talk with you again soon my friend all right boys thanks a lot. See you, jeremy. You got it that's jeremy rutherford joining us here on a 101 espn always appreciate his time here on the show uh first of all don't appreciate him agreeing with you i just felt that felt good 636 who sent the, the question to ask seven times hoping that he would respond with siding with bk uh more importantly i do want to react to something that he just said there the o'reilly stuff yes i, I want to react to that too because to me that's a bad idea $5 million AAV. By the way, welcome to the dark side. Been on this side for about six months now. I don't agree with it for $5 million. Let me rephrase it. <laughs> Come on. Man. Because if you could get him for four mil for three years, I would do that. I'm not paying him $5 million and not getting a first round pick that could really benefit me this offseason. So that's where I'm at. Um, he said three or four years, $5 million AAV is probably what it looks like. And listen, that that could change. JR acknowledges this all the time. Like, Reporting can change. New information get, brings new new reporting. So maybe it does end up closer to like four and a half, something like that. But let's work on this number, $5 million AAV. Would you do it? No, I would not. I wouldn't either. I think that's putting you in the same spot that you're in right now and adding a law. And look, Ryan O'Reilly is an asset to this team, but four years at $5 million, now you're tying up more money that you are going to be unable to address the defensive side of things. And if you're not moving anybody and you're not going to get a first round pick for him, now you don't have any assets to try and move anything and you won't have money to try and bring in another defenseman to make your team better. You're putting yourself into that vicious circle, which you're not going to be able to get out of if you do that. Had he been playing well this season, I think I would have done it, but he's not. He he looks like he's on the other end of the aging curve, and that's concerning for me for a guy that plays the two-way style that he plays and plays a physical brand of hockey and is a centerman. That has me concerned. I, I think he's a better asset by moving him and the asset he brings back. I think he's more valuable to you that way than he would be to give him this kind of contract. I'm willing to talk on O'Reilly in the offseason. I, I don't – Alex, is there a contract that – would make you willing, like if he said, I'll take a three-year deal with $4 million per I would year. do that. You'd do that right now and forego any draft pick compensation you could get for him at the deadline. 
That's I, the hard part. I still, I think I would try and do a handshake agreement where, like, let's talk in the off season, but we need to get because if you're talking to O'Reilly, you're trying to paint the picture to your captain of, hey, we need to figure out what the future of this team is, and not getting a first round pick for you, it, it hinders that a little bit. Yep. But if if we could come back to the table at the at the off season and say three years, four million dollars you're going to be trying to sign somebody to that contract that's going to have less ability than Ryan O'Reilly to play in your top six. Because you're gonna if you're going to get somebody to plug into that right-wing role that we talked about next season with Noah O'Reilly, you're paying that guy or trading for that salary that's more than $4 million. And Ryan O'Reilly brings a hell of an asset to the table. Yeah, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. But I, I got to get that first-round pick. I would be doing it in the offseason. If, if you want to re-like ignite these conversations after the Stanley Cup final. And once we get into free agency, I'm in. If you want to bring back Ryan O'Reilly, I'm fine with that. We can have those conversations on what that contract can look like. For me, he's getting dealt at the deadline. I need those assets. Well, JR said it perfectly. If you're going to lean into retooling, lean into it. Don't do it halfway. If you, That's doing it halfway. If you trade all of these guys and you get a second-round pick for Ivan Barbashev, because now you only walk away with us with the first and second round pick. Coming up on the other side, one of the worst moments possible while getting uh, married. We'll talk about that coming up on the other side and some news in the NFL that I think Philly fans are going to be excited about here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie coming up here in just a few minutes. How did the Blues replicate the leadership they're looting at losing at the deadline? We'll talk about that coming up here in just a moment. But right now, let's dive into the junk drawer. Alex, if you had an outdoor wedding, I don't believe you did, but if you did have an outdoor wedding and your wife was pooped on by a bird, how do you has think been pooped that would have gone over? Uh, when, not, we were, when we were in great, New York... Bob. We went to a, uh, a Michelin star restaurant, and right before we walked in, we were walking right past the Trump Tower. It was right over by Central Park. Uh, my wife was pooped on by a bird. What'd as she we do? Were, as we were getting ready to walk into this Did Michelin star restaurant. Yeah, what'd she do? She didn't know. Oh, she didn't realize even it. Even worse. Oh, you probably didn't tell her, did you? I, none of us realized it. Oh, man. We go in. They take her jacket, because it's a nice restaurant, right? Does bird poop smell? No. Not that I know of. Um, they take her oh, jacket, yeah. they put it on the coat rack. When she gets the jacket back after we've already had our meal, she realizes there's this like big green white stain on Eesh. her jacket. And she has just handed this over to the hostess. She's like, I, I'm mortified. I'm absolutely mortified. I so, have yeah, a mantra in life. Bird poop better than baby poop. <laughs> Touche. What do you um, think your wife would have done in that setting? Because this happened at a wedding in Daytona Beach. I recently. guess it depends on where it pooped on her. Like if it got on her dress, all hell would break loose because the wedding's ruined. If it got like on her shoulder or, you know, just her skin where it's a wipe off, I think she would freak out. But it'd be like, OK, you're cleaned up. It but was on it, her shoulder for what it's worth. It was a strapless it was on her dress shoulder. and it was on her shoulder. So like if that was my wife, it would be a matter of, oh, my God, this is disgusting. Get it off, get it off, get it off. And when it's off, she's fine. If it was on the dress, her hair, her veil, game over. 
I could see that. That would be problematic. I can't. What would your wife do, T-Bone? Oh, she would freak the blank out. That's what she would do. I don't think anybody would be able to take that well. I was surprised by how relaxed my wife was on our wedding day. I actually think she would have been okay with this. Like, not in a, I'm excited that I just got pooped on by a bird type of way, but more in a, <laughs> is that a way? <laughs> more more in a, like, let's figure this out. We'll make the best out of what is obviously an atrocious situation. I will give credit to the bride and the groom in this scenario. What did they do? This ended up going viral. They wiped it off. They wiped it off and didn't even miss a beat in the wedding ceremony. They just kept on pushing through. As if nothing had just happened. They both laughed about it, oh, wiped it off her shoulder. Was this while they were up at the... Yeah, oh, this gosh. was why they were giving the vows. For some reason, I was thinking this, like, had happened, and, like, it happened, like, before she got up to the altar. Oh, oh dude. Yeah, that, not That's got to be yeah. a sign that this marriage is not going to go well. Yeah, yep. You get pooped on, and... Uh, you get is pooped that a good or a bad omen? Uh, oh, does this end in disaster, omen. or does this signify that because well, they were able to make it through this on their wedding day, the, nothing yeah, was, else can stand just in their way? The way I look at it is, if you can handle bird-ish, you can handle any ish as a married couple. That's kind of how I, I look I at disagree. It. You know what the odds Bumper are getting sticker. ished on by a bird? It can't while be good. getting married? Well, just in general, but while getting married, Hold it's going to be low odds, out. too. It can't happen that often. I think I've only had it happen once in my 23 years of life. Hey, Google filled that one. They, uh, they believe the average person spends 5,184 seconds outside a day or, or 86 minutes, so birds have an 86-minute window where they can poo on you every 2,888 seconds, so .001 chance. Okay. Well, one in 1,000. Well, then that chance. is really a bad omen. There you go. By the way, before we get to the Cardinals on the other side, the Arizona Cardinals are officially targeting Jonathan Gannon to become their next head coach. This is according to Ian Rappaport and Adam Schefter, the Eagles defensive coordinator, who yesterday tore the city were, apart. There were fans in Philadelphia that said on the radio, shot him out of a cannon. shoot him out of a cannon into the sun. They, they needed, shot him right down to the Phoenix desert. They needed a victory in Philadelphia because everyone hates each other out there. So Jonathan Cannon is the reason people hate each other in Philly. The yeah. one thing that they can agree upon is that they all hate bleed Jonathan green Gannon and hate <laughs> Jonathan Gannon. In 15 minutes, we're talking to Sportsnet's NHL insider, Ken Weeby. That's coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But next, the Cardinals are selling us hard on competition in spring training. Are you buying it this time around? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Tan. Tan Hendrickson. Tan man. When you get older, are you going by Tan? Hey, Mr. Tan Bay. No. Sing me a dream. Dum, 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 dum. Of course you know that damn song. Of course you know that damn song. That's a great song, man. Can we be joining the show in about 10 minutes or so? Hope right you didn't now, hear that. Guys, the theme of Cardinal Spring Training is going to be competition. You're going to hear that word no fewer than a million different times. This is what John Mosellock told reporters yesterday at Cardinals camp. Quote, when you sit in front of a day one scrum like we are right now, we always talk about competition in camp. And candidly, I've got to admit it. Sometimes there just really is an actual competition. We talk about it, but we kind of know going in what our club is going to look like this year. 
I actually think it's pretty genuine. Performance and what people do is going to matter when you're looking at what we break camp with at the end of March and what our 26-man roster is going to look like. I could sit here and write a guess, but I'd probably have to write down 32 different names that could end up making up our 26-man roster. Again, that comes from John Mosellock yesterday uh, going into spring training for the Cardinals. Alex, I think there's truth to this. Normally, I call BS. I think they can normally tell you, okay, here are 24 of the 26 players that are going to be on our opening day roster, and really spring training is about maybe tweaking a few roles, maybe deciding what those final couple of roster spots are going to be, but most of those spots are spoken for. I'm not sure that's true this time around. I could see Nolan Gorman being your starting DH going into opening day, I could see Nolan Gorman starting the season in AAA if things go completely awry for him. I could see Jordan Walker starting in right field for you on opening day. I could see Jordan Walker not making it up to the big league club until early May. There's a lot of different ways that things could go for this year's roster. Good luck trying to pick who the left-handed relievers are going to be on this team going into opening day. Good luck picking out a specific role for Polante and Dakota Hudson and Drew Verhagen in those middle innings. I do think there's more competition this year than there are most years. Do you agree with that? I agree. Um, I I think there's four areas that are open competition and some pretty significant ones. It's the outfield starting spots and really just the four man rotation in the outfield. Um, I think it's the DH position, whether it's Yepes Gorman and I mean, people don't like it, but throw Moises Gomez's name in there. They're going to be looking at it. It's the left-handed reliever that you just mentioned. And it's the, Uh, extra rotation arm, the sixth man, and that's Dakota Hudson and a couple of other guys. Those are the big four. I don't buy into there's a competition at second base. I think that's Brendan Donovan's, and that's going to be it. And then everywhere else, there's no real competition. I don't even know if I buy into the backup catcher competition between Herrera and Kisner. It's Kisner. So outfield, DH, left-handed reliever, and sixth rotation. Those are the the four spots that seem to be big. That's more than normal. Oh, absolutely. Last no, season, normally we can name one. Last maybe season, maybe two. Last season it was rotation, right? And I think the other thing that's different about it this year, DH going into spring training felt that way, and then eventually they Albert just signed out. Once Albert yeah. was signed, then it was game over. But that was that was a little bit. They were playing spring training games by the time that he was signed. Remember, he came down the right mm-hmm. field and he got that ovation. It was a cool scene. But um, I, I I do think that it's more than previous years, and I also think even within those individual positions. There's more players that are vying for those spots. You look at DH, there's like four or five different dudes that could conceivably be your opening day DH, depending on how spring training goes. You look at the outfield, there's what, like eight guys that are competing for four, maybe five spots, depending on how things shake out with the rosters. I, I think that this is the off or this is the spring training that Ollie wanted. I think if there's one thing that Ollie has done that's a little different than previous managers, basically since Tony, it's this. He will reward performance. If you're performing, you're going to get playing time. That's how Brendan Donovan became the starting second baseman last year. That's how Paul DeYoung got sent down to AAA last year. That's how Tommy Edmond became the starting shortstop last year. They decided, and hell, you look at the bullpen, look at the roles that were rewarded in the bullpen last year. That came via performance. Outfield came via performance. So I think that's the one, the biggest change from previous managers here is it's not as much about the what have you done for me previously. It's about what can you do for me now? 
And so I do think that spring training is actually meaningful when it comes to uh, some of these competitions. In about 15 minutes, we'll play a game of better to forget it. You give us a scenario. We'll tell you if we're betting it or forgetting it. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But coming up next, Ken Wiebe is a reporter for Sportsnet. We'll talk to him here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. And right now we're going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by NHL analyst for Sportsnet. He's Ken Weeb joining us here on the show. You can follow him on Twitter at Weeb's World, W-I-E-B-E-S World on Twitter. Ken, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? Uh, doing tremendous. Thanks for having me. Always great to, to be with the great folks of St. Louis. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you on. So let's start with a conversation that uh, we've been having a lot here in St. Louis over the last few weeks, really the last couple of months now with them kind of dropping in the standings. And that's about what the Blues are going to do as we get closer to the deadline. Uh, Ken, based on what you're hearing around the league, what do you think is on the table for them as we get closer to the trade deadline? Well, we know there's lots of interest. Uh, depending on how many players are made available, we know Doug Armstrong kind of got ahead of the game with the Tarasenko deal, and I would say, too, I mean, I think the, the Mikola element is also important. I mean, we always talk about the so-called stars. Uh, sometimes some of those difference makers are, you know, the guys that play on the third pairing or on the third or fourth line. So I love that addition from the Rangers as well, a guy that plays with some stiffness and uh, some physical nature. Uh, and Tarasenko, obviously, we know he's highly motivated for his next contract, so uh, that's a great fit there. But we know that Ivan Barbashev, he's not the star player, and he's not having the same year that he had last year with the Blues when he had the career highs. But Barbashev's a guy who's at a manageable cap number, and he plays that important middle six role. He, he's physical. Uh, I love the way that he plays. He can kill some penalties, play on the second power play. Uh, it's it's odd to say, but I think there'll be a bidding war for his services. I mean, Every single contender would love to have a guy like Barbashev in the lineup. Uh, we know, you know, if you're a member of the Colorado Avalanche or their management team, we know he single-handedly knocked Sam Girard out of the playoffs uh, with a clean and heavy hit. So uh, he's a guy who can really help in a lot of areas. I think he's a perfect fit for a team like the Jets also, but he's basically a perfect fit anywhere. You could make a, make a case for him. And then Noel Achari, I think, is a guy who, you know, just over the league minimum, there's been obviously links with Vegas, knowing that Bruce Cassidy had him both with the Boston Bruins and the Providence Bruins when he was breaking into pro hockey. So uh, those are the those are the kind of the early names. And, and then, you know, the big decision is coming with Ryan O'Reilly. I mean, I had a chance to speak with him in October on the first trip through uh, with get to face the Jets. He obviously loves St. Louis. He won a cup here. It kind of rejuvenated his career, and he would love to stay but at what number and for how long? I mean, I think he would take less to stay with St. Louis, but the, se- the season hasn't really materialized the way that either the Blues or O'Reilly have envisioned. And, you know, Blues fans don't need a history lesson. Two of the last captains left in free agency. So uh, you can't ignore that factor either. I know that Ryan O'Reilly would love to stay, but I also know that he's going to be very marketable for Doug Armstrong as he tries to retool on the fly. And anyone who watched that Colorado series last year knows that Ryan O'Reilly, in addition to putting up some points, also did a great job against Nathan McKinnon at 5-on-5. So 
Uh, he'll be in demand also, especially on what an impact coming back from the injury with the overtime winner. So I'm curious to see where things stand with the Blues, but I do expect them to be active. And, and, and you know, we know that Doug Armstrong made, has made tough decisions before when he sent Paul Stastny out the door, you know, to Winnipeg in 2018, when I think they were only a point or two outside the playoff line. But, you know, the reward came next year when they won the Cup. So I think the Blues, I think Doug Armstrong is going to have the biggest impact on the trade deadline for other teams, but also for their own team in terms of the direction they'll be taking moving forward. Can beyond those those pending unrestricted free agents, can you see a spot come March third where Doug looks at some roster players with term on their contract and says, "We need to trade this individual"? Yeah, I mean that's a big question, Mark. I mean a lot of those, a lot of those guys that you would be mentioning have some level of trade protection, so whether that's a Tory Krug or a Colton Pareko, I mean, I'm not sure. I know that things haven't gone well for Pareko, but he loves the Blues, and this season is probably more of an outlier. But, I mean, we know what's valuable to other general managers is is contracts that don't have as much term. I mean, for Pareko, it's a long term. I think the deal goes through 29-30. Uh, so I think that Pareko would be a great addition for a lot of teams as well if he can get back to the level he's played at previously. And I think the same would apply for Tory Krug, but I don't know how many teams are willing to add that level of term. Now, if you're asking about, you know, Callie Rosen, who has an extra year, um, you know, as maybe a, a plan B for some teams, sure. He's untouchable, Ken. That's not an option. <laughs> I mean, I'm only I'm not, I'm not saying that flippantly. I mean, teams look for depth guys like him that have some cost certainty, right? Same for a guy like Bertuzzo, uh, a guy who's won the Stanley Cup and you know can help the penalty kill. But you know, in terms of trading a Pavel Bushnevich, I don't see. I, I think that's a guy they'd want to be part of the core moving forward. But if you think this is more of a longer term retool, and you want to line somebody up with the with the Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo contracts then you might consider Bushnevich, but I mean, he's such a valuable player when he's been healthy. So, uh, and then now you're going to have to try to, I mean, it's fine to say, well, you got five and a half or six, just under six off the books, but now you got to replace a guy who can score 30 goals. So, I mean, that, there's a little bit of push and pull going on there. I don't think it's a rebuild for the blues just based on where their core is at with where Jordan Binnington is at in between the pipes. But I do think there will be more than just, you know, tinkering with UFAs, but I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. And I think the biggest thing that we've learned this year about the Blues, they don't, I mean, they're a team in transition and they haven't played to that. We think about the 2019 run and the Blues being that identity. They're not as hard to play against and they're, they're shifting towards being a skilled team, but I think they still want to have that, you know, grit element involved. So it's going to be looking for because still, you know, you got the commitment to Nick Letty and guys like that. I mean, they didn't sign those guys so they could rebuild. So I think it'll be more with, uh, you know, an eye on the more immediate future than the long-range future. But, I mean, Doug Armstrong is not afraid to make bold decisions, and he's a guy that's shown some creativity over his career as well. So I expect him to be involved in a lot of conversations. What those lead to, uh, I'm not close enough to the inside to know that answer. But... I think it'll be fascinating to watch. Ken, just as a follow-up there, for those that don't know, I mean, you cover the Winnipeg Jets also, and you watched this Blues team in that Stanley Cup run. You've seen plenty of St. Louis over the years. What what do you make of this team? What do you think went wrong? Yeah, it's so odd. I mean, it, sometimes we talk about, you know, chemistry and mix all the time, but, you know, 
losing a guy like David Perron has had a, a big impact on a number of levels. You know, he, he was you know, the preferred winger for Ryan O'Reilly. Ryan is a guy who can play with anybody, but they just had that incredible chemistry over the years. I, you know, I just finished up at the Seattle Kraken skate. I'm watching Jaden Schwartz, and I'm thinking, I'm seeing Jaden Schwartz from 2019, you know, scoring that goal in game five in the waning seconds. That totally turned the series around. I mean, those are guys that had a massive impact on that playoff run, and a lot of those guys are not there anymore. So, you know, they're turning the team over to younger guys, and I think those younger guys are going to be ready, but they lost a level of experience. I mean, this thing about the back end, Joel Edmondson, I mean, I know that year they were kind of in and out of the lineup with Bertuzzo at times, but that, that's, that stiffness is not there in the same capacity, and it's not as much of a Craig Berube kind of team, I think, in some elements. So, and I know some of that has to do with injury, but I just think that they'll be looking to kind of change the mix a little bit and it, like I said, it reminds me a little bit of 2018 where, you know, they traded Paul Stastny, but they were planning to turn over the center group anyway. They got O'Reilly. They went on and got Tyler Bozak. I just think that there's there's a few moves on the horizon. I just don't know exactly what they're going to look like. I mean, that year they also brought in Pat Maroon. So, you know, I don't know who the next St. Louis, uh, the local guy that can come in to play that kind of a style. But I just think that their mix has been a little bit off this year. There have been some games where the Blues have looked like world beaters, and I think they can get back to that. I just think they need to change their mix and get back to a little bit more of what their identity was previously. We know teams are going to evolve, but I think they kind of get back, need to get back to being tough to play against. Now, trading a guy like Barbashev doesn't accomplish that goal, but it doesn't mean that they can't go back and try to sign him in the offseason because he's going to be a guy that's going to be able to help get some of those future assets, and then maybe you could bring a couple of these guys back into the full next year moving forward but i just think they're kind of a little bit in a team in transition and i know again we see all we saw what happened in 2019 and you just kept waiting for the blues to rip off one of these long winning streaks and outside of the start of the year they just haven't had that level of consistency that we've been so used to seeing from this group over the years uh ken final question and ken weeby ken weeby excuse me is our guest here on 101 espn uh, of course scott mayfield is that st louis kid that could be coming back home this offseason we talked about him right there yeah see ken, ken's perfect on, third pairing ken's on my side that's what that's where i'm at ken if you did if the blues made colton pareko available and we we would guess the answer is no that they're not going to but in that scenario do you believe that there would be legitimate interest around the league in Colton Pareko without the Blues picking up some of his salary. Do you think that that interest is there around the league? Well, I just think that guys like him are hard to find, right? I mean, we talk about size and, you know, he's great on the, he's got this bomb of a shot. I know it's not leading to 20 goal seasons, but he's a guy that when he's playing his best can defend. He has a physical element to his game. He's very mobile. So if you're a guy who's willing to think that that contract is going to age a little bit better than some of the long-term deals uh, for guys at his age because of the way he takes care of his body, I think there would be interest because, I mean, he's a legitimate first-pairing kind of guy. I mean, I think of the Jets here, too. I mean, to me, I think he would change the dynamic of the blue line. We talk about the Jets' defense core being a little bit undersized. I think he'd be a perfect partner for Josh Morrissey. But now, again, you're taking on seven more years at a, you know, it's not a massive number, but it's a significant number. So you'd have to find a team that has some value contracts that could see that deal aging a little bit better because I think Pareko's, like I said, I think this is the outlier season for him. He's a high character person. He's won the cup. 
He's very, is a very hard worker. I think it's more likely that he gets back to being that shutdown guy that we saw playing so well, you know, alongside Bo Meester at times. And, you know, he's had a variety of partners. But when he's at his best, he can really have a big impact on the game. He's got that long reach, makes him a very good penalty killer also. I think it's much more likely that the Blues – bank on him bouncing back and he gets moved but yeah i mean to answer your original question i would say there's interest but i would also say there's probably some hesitancy from a lot of teams given the term on the deal having said that if you're a team that thinks you can win the cup right now maybe you know no better example for st louis than albert pujols you'll worry about the back end of the contract later if you can put a banner up somewhere Ken, final one for me, and uh, there's been a lot of discussion about the defensive struggles this season and really the last couple of years for the Blues, and, and you're the perfect person to ask this because Winnipeg went through this. I mean, they were in that first round, a heavy opponent against St. Louis. They lose Dustin Bufflin. They trade away Tyler Myers. They lose Jacob Trouba. That's a pretty significant change in terms of defense, and, and Winnipeg this season has given up the second least amount of goals in the National Hockey League. How difficult is it from an NHL perspective to to turn around a defense when you're in a bad spot like St. Louis is? Oh, it's been massive. And the turnaround, like they lost their entire right side and then they lost Ben Schrott in free agency as well. So, and honestly, this is really the first year that the Jets have probably had more of a depth, you know, where they've had legitimate depth and been able to play better defensively. But, you know, they still have one of the elite goaltenders in the league and Connor Hellebuck that still kind of covers up for some, like, some of the mistakes like I, I don't think the Jets are a you know I, I wouldn't say they're a top five defense uh, core group even though they're in the top five in terms of goals against so like it's still a work in progress and to be honest I think the Jets probably need to upgrade their defense core if they want to win between two and four rounds we know what it takes at that level I mean depth but outside of Josh Morrissey I mean they don't have a lot of big name kind of guys so I mean, teams do it in different ways. We saw with the Pittsburgh Penguins, and it's not always the marquee names, but you have to have guys that can play, you know, 24 minutes a game in the playoffs at times and can withstand the the punishment that teams bring at you in a four-round kind of scenario. So, I mean, they are a great example of what it takes when you need to spin things around. And, I mean, the unfortunate thing for St. Louis, I mean, Scott Prunovich really hasn't been available much. We thought he would be a really important puck-moving guy on that back end in terms of, how their defense has evolved. But, I mean, I think that's probably part of the reason they had to go out and get Nick Letty and, and kind of go future years with him as well. So, I mean, rebuilding a defense core is not easy. That's for sure. The Jets are a great example. And, you know, I would say if you're a St. Louis Blues fan, you should have faith in Doug Armstrong's ability to kind of remake that defense core, though. I mean, he's shown that he can do it, and I would imagine he's going to be taking the steps that are necessary to do it again. I mean, look at the preemptive strike they made to get Justin Falk when they knew that Alex Petrangelo's future was in doubt. So I would expect him to be active, as we mentioned. And, you know, I I don't think it's going to be, you know, long before the Blues are back being a contender. I mean, I just think that they're they're too good and, they you know, they're well coached and they have a lot of the important elements required, even though there are some, you know, more than just minor surgery is on the horizon for them. He's Ken Weeb joining us here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate his time. You can find his work over at Sportsnet. You can also follow him on Twitter at Weeb's World, W-I-E-B-E-S World on Twitter. Ken, thanks so much for the time today, man. We really appreciate it. We'll talk with you again soon. Yeah, my pleasure. Enjoy the stretch run, guys. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be fun a uh, couple weeks here leading up to the deadline. Take Absolutely. care. Absolutely. Same to you. That's Ken Weeb joining us here on 101 ESPN. Big thanks to him for hopping on the show today. As Ice Cube once said, today's been a good day. 
Today has been a good day. That came to mind because we talked about Ice Cube yesterday. It for did, you, didn't it? It did. I it, had to go like back. Clicks in Mike your mind. Mike Ryder actually forced me to go down to a rabbit hole to remind myself how many songs Ice Cube had as a solo artist. Uh, Ice Cube, by the way, coming to St. Louis in September, August? Yeah, it's the... Um, Something like that? It's the Evolution Fest, Wait, I'm right? I'm confused. When did we talk about Ice Cube? You weren't there yeah, for weren't it. There, we had man. a conversation with there. Was It was a whole thing. It was a host thing. Yeah, we were, you know... Wow. We were bonding. Too bad. Third voices weren't invited. <laughs> just <laughs> just gonna, go to bleep and mm. break. <laughs> that wasn't even a backhanded compliment. That was like a punch to the gut and then an elbow to the face. And then he poked your eye out with his nose. You know what the worst part is? Tanner's our boss tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Literally tomorrow. Tanner for a week and a half. Oh, we'll man. Start Look, he's, not, he's doing what I do boss. when I get mad. He won't make eye contact with any of us. No, he's mad. He's mad. The, the good news is he did it. Well, no, I said it first. Oh, yeah, we're both in trouble. Yeah, yeah don't worry. No, I was the one that really, though, like, yeah, mm, I pounded that bad boy in. I swept like, the leg, and you came in and just Jimmy snook at him off oh, the yeah. turnbuckle. People's elbow right there oh, to yeah. the cranium. Sorry, T-Bone. That's my go-to. 314-399-9646. If you want to yell at Tanner, you can do that on the Why text line right now. <laughs> or you can send in your text for better to forget it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up and we're here to make the call. It's PK and Ferrario's bet it or forget it on 101 ESPN. game of bet it or forget it 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service tax line if you guys have a scenario we will tell you if we are betting it or forgetting it here on 101 espn this one comes from the 636 guys better to forget it before the start of next season the blues will trade one of colton pareko or tory krug one of those two defensemen will be dealt before the start of next season bet it i believe i believe tory krug will be the one because cool. of scott perunovich by the way, can we bring or Mayfield? Up, we can't trade for Mayfield. Um, can we bringing up Callie Rosen? I saw somebody in Toronto, like a fan on Twitter, said the Blues are, should or Toronto should trade for Callie Rosen. We've really gotten to that point where people are wanting Callie Rosen, and I'm saying we this can't pool. give him up. You know how good the Blues are. They've got players that every team seems to want. Callie <laughs> Rosen has more goals than Jacob Chikrin this season. In all seriousness, like, I wouldn't trade him. I wouldn't either. That's where we've gotten. And it's not because, like, Callie Rosen's too valuable. Like, you're going to get, like, a fifth-round pick in return and for him. And you're better off letting him compete for one of those top six spots yeah. next season. I would just rather have Callie Rosen on my team next year. I, I just look at it as... If you can get a third-round pick, like, yeah. I, I'm picking up the phone. But I, I just look at it as it. if Scott Perunovich does well in this conditioning stint, comes back, and let's say he plays 20 games the rest of the season, or maybe 18, and plays well... They're going to get to the point where they say, why not? Let's get Scott Perunovich the opportunity to do a Tory Krug, because like it or not, Tory Krug has been injured every season as a St. Louis Blue. He's spent a lot of time on the injured list. I'll bet it, too. I, I think they're going to retool this defensive core. Who they do it with, I'm not sure. But I, I, Krug seems to be the guy that makes sense because they kind of have his filler and Scott Perunovich in the system. Would I do it? I I don't know. I, I get what you're saying with Krug dealing with injuries, but you want to talk about injury-prone 
Yeah, Perunovic. Perunovic is Perunovic. injury prone. I, I don't know if you right. want to turn the wheels over to him to that take that said, spot. But maybe Cali Rosen six and a half million dollars. The other makes like a million dollars. And you also have a Cali Rosen who, if you give him opportunities on the power play, maybe he's a guy that can play there for you. I will bet this as well. I'm not as staunchly in favor of it being Krug. I think he's more likely, but I, I do believe that I'm with both of you that they are going to have to make over this defensive core. And those seem to be the two guys that would be most likely if you're going to do that. Four years at six and a half million is going to be a lot easier for a team to swallow than seven years at six and a half million. That being said, as we just heard in that last interview, maybe a team talks themselves into Colton Pareko just being the guy that they need they know, could. because of that size. Better to forget it, the Cardinals win at least five gold gloves next season. All right, so let's do this. Arenado and Goldschmidt. Mm-hmm. Those are the two that feel written in stone, and then everything else is a maybe. Uh, I'll say Tommy Edmond gets one. Tommy Edmond or Brendan Donovan gets one, especially with this utility yeah. award. Yeah. So I'll say one but of is, those two. Is Donovan, though, going to be eligible for the utility award this year? Because he might be your starting second baseman. But I wonder how long he stays there if they want to get more reps for Nolan Gorman and Juan Yepes is Maybe. hitting well and Nolan Gorman's hitting well. I just got to feel like one of the outfielders gets it, whether it's O'Neal, Newt Barr, or Carlson. We know how weak left field is, so. Yeah. And then the the dark horse for me, which is why I'm going to say bet it, is Wilson Contreras. No. <laughs> cool. No. I, I'm going to forget you it. Take your victory you know lap there. Let me. No, let no, me no, no, down. no, no, no. I don't want your damn sympathy. Do you let me walk down memory lane? No, let me walk do? down this path with you. Oh, no, I'm not walking down. Is, this path is it a yellow brick road that we're walking down? I'd what? Like, yeah, what are we like to Munchkin land your face. <laughs> I don't really know what that means. No, I don't either, buddy. Um, I get fired for saying that. If. <laughs> Well, Tanner's here, so never mind. We're good. If Jason Stark's right, and there's going to be people running left and right this year in Major League Baseball, for all of Wilson Contreras' faults defensively with whether it be game calling or pitch framing and all that stuff, he has an excellent arm, and he's pretty good with his pop time. I would be surprised if he's the one that wins the gold glove, but that would be the route is he just catches. God only knows how many runners trying to steal because they think they can against Contreras. Now that Yachty's gone. And you got great. And that's why I said dark horse with him, because there's a lot of great catchers. And now specifically Sean Murphy's in the national league, which is going to be difficult. And you got real Muto too. But that's my, that's my mindset with Wilson Contreras for how good he is at picking guys off. If he has like the best numbers at that rate this season, I wonder if he gets that. He's a dark horse for me. I, I would forget it because I agree. So you got Goldie and Arnado. I agree with. I, I think one or both, depending on how you view them, could win the Gold Glove. But in the, up the middle there with Edmund and Donovan, I just don't know where that fifth one's coming from because I, I don't think it would be Contreras. And in the outfield, could be you could have eight different starting outfielders this year to where I don't think any one of them could get enough playing time to win it. And I also just, I'm not sold on both middle infielders winning a gold glove. So I I just am going to forget it. That's not saying they've got a bad defense this year. I I just think it's going to be tough for them to get up to five. I would probably take the under on three and a half. Honestly, like I'm not sure Tommy Edmonds getting it this year at shortstop. There's some really good defensive shortstops in the national league right now, man. I mean, look over in Philly. That guy's pretty good. I, I would probably not only take the under on five, I would take the under on four. I think you're guaranteed to get two, and you feel pretty good if you get three. So I, I would I would not bet this either. All right, better to forget it. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line. Guys, better to forget it. Lamar Jackson plays for the Ravens next season. I'll say bet it. 
I don't see a team giving up what it would need to trade for Lamar Jackson, whereas Baltimore can just say, you're our property and we're going to franchise tag you and you're going to be our quarterback this year. I do like the move that they made in hiring uh, Todd Munkin. It's a really good hire. I think he's an excellent offensive coordinator. He did a great job at Georgia in modernizing that offense, bringing them into the 21st century. Finally, somebody had to do it. Um, And I thought he did a really good job when he was down in Tampa as well. He was the... I can't remember if he was head coach or OC. I thought he was the OC, they said earlier today. When, um, what's his face? James Winston had the big year where he he joined the 30-30 club, um, which is oh. not something you want to be is proud of. Is that as good of, as the Mile High Club? He he did get 30 touchdowns in a season. So I, I think he's going to be very good for them. If Lamar is back, I think he'll have a pretty good season if they can get some weapons. I'll, I'll say I'm betting it. I think he's back next year, but was the 2019 Cleveland Browns year that he was the OC, was that the Baker Mayfield like successful uh, season for been. him. I don't remember what year that was. Let's go back. I'll look at that. Because he was the OC for Cleveland. I, I would bet it. I, I bet he's still in Baltimore. I, I just don't see a trade in which someone's given up enough assets. And if you're Baltimore, you have your franchise quarterback. I, I think it, you franchise him two years in a row, and then he end, ultimately ends up walking. And, I mean, we talked earlier in the show about, you know, with DeAndre Hopkins, who can make a move for him. Baltimore would make sense. bringing a weapon to help out Lamar Jackson he, I don't know if he'll be able to stay healthy for the whole year because he runs so much, but I, I don't see them moving him. I, I don't think you just trade him away. I, I, I think you try to build around him. I, I think that's probably the way that they decide to go. Uh, 2019, did you? Yeah, Baker Mayfield. That was the year. 38 or 3,800 yards, 22 touchdowns that season. So that he's, could be a really good hire for Baltimore, especially if they can get a number one receiver. He's got a good history, man. I, he's he's done a really good job as an offensive coordinator. So I, I'm it's an inspired hire. I, I really like the route that they decided to go. Coming up next, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. By the way, I'm set to fulfill my punishment for losing at some point during the regular season. I can't even keep track of which week this was that I lost. There were too many of them. Taking a polar plunge this Saturday. Big thanks to Special Olympics of Missouri for helping to coordinate this plunge. If you want to join in, you can do so on Saturday at Crevecore Lake by signing up. You can find all of the details at 101ESPN.com. You can help us support our local Special Olympics Missouri athletes. Alex, tonight you got the Blues back in action against the Panthers. Uh, one of the final games. They got, what, eight games left now going into the trade deadline at this point in time. So. Big game for Colton Pareko to show what he can do for Did the Did that Blues. one on purpose, didn't you? Uh, You're we just also, sour that I got reaffirmed twice today. Illinois back in action tonight as well. This is a big one for them, T-Bone. Kind of one of those trap game potential. Uh, Penn State has not been great this season. Illinois only a three-point favorite, though. This one is on the road, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And this would technically be a quad one or quad two win. How do you feel about this one going into tonight? 
I, I feel good about the Illini. They've been playing really well, so I, I, I'm not too concerned. I agree with you, though. It is going to be tough. It's always tough to go to Penn State and get a win on the road, but I they've been playing well lately. Coleman Hawkins has been playing well lately, so I, I, I'm not too concerned. I think they end up winning tonight. I, I think they play well down the stretch and become a team that gets like a 5-6 seed in the NCAA tournament. I, I think that I've got them tonight as well. Again, though, this is this is one of those games that I feel like a lot of people will take lightly, and they probably shouldn't. Penn State, uh, pretty good offensively, can't really defend at all, though. If you're going to be able to win this game, you're, you're going to if you're Illinois, you're going to have to score in this one more so than you have recently. Uh, on Mizzou side of things, they're back in action as well uh, against Auburn on the road. Auburn, a six and a half point favorite. My full expectation is that Auburn wins and covers this game. Winning on the road at Auburn is really freaking hard. And doing so right after you're coming off of that huge win at Tennessee, that's a lot to ask for from any program, much less one that's in its infancy stages. And when you look at what uh, Auburn does well, they've got some size. They rebound well. They defend well. This just does not feel like the type of matchup that would go in Missouri's way. So I, I expect a loss, but Auburn has lost five of their last six games. They're uh, they're reeling a little bit right now. If Missouri's able to get this one, man, we're talking about a team that's moving on up in the rankings when we get closer to March Madness. Moving on up, moving on up to the east side. T-Bone, name the show. No idea. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane with Anthony Stalter, Jamie Rivers, and Brad Thompson. What? Coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.